This is the movie Hall of Fame, Class of Shyamalan. For Thursday, July 29th, 2021. And there he is across the Jitsi call for me. The last <laughs> airbender to my avatar. It's Adam Hall. God. <laughs> what a twist. It's a virtual pod. <laughs> what a twist. What a twist. They were never in the same room all along. <laughs> or were they? <laughs> <laughs> They were just pretending. <laughs> maybe they were, and then they weren't again. Uh, <laughs> and maybe the monsters are real, except they're not. Is there a wormhole that exists between Nico and Adam? You better believe it. <laughs> Shyamalan, baby! M. Yeah. Night Night! Yeah, it is. It, it is M. Night here on Why Is This a Thing. We're recording this at the PM. Mm, that's right. 10 p.m. recording. We're in different studios, but um, I'm rearing to go. This has been a podcast staring us right in the face for a long time. And I'm <laughs> glad we're finally were, doing this. I didn't realize you were going to be this excited to talk about fucking M. Night Shyamalan. You're not? Uh, I'm not not excited. Okay. <laughs> I'll put it that way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Let's this go. Guy, <laughs> this guy is fascinating. He has sure. really one of the more fascinating careers in the history of show business. Like, take a look at the trajectory of his career from when he was making shitty indie movies under Harvey Weinstein to making the biggest horror movies on the planet to mm-hmm. making the most critically panned B-movies on the planet yep. to now making a resurgence as like a Blumhouse indie horror guy it's very strange isn't it it's a really strange trajectory and i'm like really interested to talk about these movies here some of them are among my favorite of all time some of them i loathe like this guy is just fascinating he has a new movie out it's called old neither of us have seen it we're waiting to see it together um because i'm sure that'll be just a a a time at the movies for the ages i think so but here's another movie that's dividing audiences yet again. I've seen people that adore this thing. I've seen people that hate it. He's back doing twists. He's back working with big budgets. It's a hit. He's back on top. Number one at the box office, M. Night yeah. Shyamalan, this past weekend. I'm like, sure. this is a guy, he's 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 evergreen, man. He's just a... <laughs> he just keeps here's, going. He keeps going, and he keeps, like, dividing the film world, and I just feel like he has... Bad as his movies sometimes are, like he's as relevant as ever. Like it's this is always just going to be a fascinating conversation. I feel like. Okay. Okay. Yeah. From what I've been hearing, though, no, it's 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 quite bad, and those defenders are really struggling to make it good. Okay. Uh, like like when I he- I've had a little bit of the movie spoiled for me, unfortunately, and I'm like, there is no way a movie that has this in it is a good movie. But okay. whatever. Uh, and I it, will it, reserve it, judgment. True, true, yeah, I gotta actually see the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it looks exquisitely bad once again, in the way yeah. that, like, the happening is bad, <laughs> which is a conversation in and of itself. Yes, it does look bad. And the first time I saw the trailer, it looked bad. But you know what it definitely does look like as well? A Shyamalan movie. Sure, yes, as it should. It you know what I mean? It would be weird if it didn't. Yeah, but there is really no one making movies like him right now. There's no one with the audacity or the conviction that he has. It's strange how much he believes in some of his ideas. Yes. And even though you get people telling him time and time and time again to stop writing, yes. he keeps on writing. Keeps on writing. He doesn't care. She's, he's this big director, like, superstar. Honestly, strangely, 
I mean, he's sort of become a meme in a lot of ways, but he is a director superstar, honestly. And you hear that name and you know who it is. It is easy to forget that this man was compared to Steven Spielberg after his first few features. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're a long way away from that. You're right. He has sort of become this like memeable pop culture figure now where the Shyamalan ending is now a pop culture trope. Exactly. You know, the the twist endings in Shyamalan, although twist endings have been around since like the 20s and 30s. Yeah. It, it feels like the twist ending and the Shyamalan ending are, have become intertwined, you know? Yeah. Did he Citizen Kane the twist ending, you think? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that's the a most, gr- <laughs> most pretentious thing I could possibly say. But and yeah. I'm sure he would say that about himself. <laughs> yeah, no, I think like more people know the ending to Sixth Sense than Rosebud at this point, right? Probably. Well, yeah. I would... In a way, I would hope they wouldn't for those right. who haven't seen it. But even if you haven't seen the movie, you know that twist, unfortunately. Yes. So. And I, I'm telling you, I'm really pumped to see old. I had to resist the temptation. I almost cheated on you a few times this week because oh. I was like bored and sitting around and I had a couple free hours <laughs> and I'm like, oh, should I just swing over to AMC, <laughs> pop in to that beach in the middle of nowhere, watch some old. Oh, God. Contemplate some existential dread on a Tuesday. That doesn't seem like it's what it's going to be. <laughs> okay. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It, it is about the thing I am most scared of. What? So it's Getting got old? Going for- yes. <sighs> We've talked about this before. Like the idea of age slipping away like hourglass, like sand through the hourglass, like oh. days of our lifestyle. Um, <laughs> terrifying. It's you're it's you're it's happening right now, Nico. I'm sorry to I'm, I'm sorry to you know rain on your parade, but you're currently doing it as you speak. You are you are slowly, maybe not rapidly, but you are slowly withering away right in front of my eyes. <laughs> I am fucking Alex Wolf. Um, oh, here we go. <laughs> Alex Wolf, by the way, two major motion pictures. It's the Summer of Wolf. That's right. Yeah, strange choices too. By the way, <laughs> Season of the Wolf. He's doing this, he's doing Pig, and he's doing uh, Hereditary a couple of years ago, which right. is bizarre. I don't know what he's going to keep doing. Guy's kind of putting Got together a little John Cazale-ish career. Uh- <laughs> you know? You're comparing him to John Cazale. Kind of. Like, he just yeah. sort of pops up in supporting roles, like quirky supporting roles in good movies. He gives John Cazale vibes. I guess that makes sense. Kind of looks like Cazale. Does he? They both got the like thin mustache going one's like bald yeah alex wolf one's much soon to be bald one's one's darker <laughs> let's talk Shyamalan. okay here are the five movies nominated for induction into the movie hall of fame are you brushing over by the way by the fact that you just did like like got lazy once again Oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? Yeah, you got super fucking lazy. You promised the listeners. I didn't get lazy. I got busy. I don't have time for 20 hours of Harry Potter in a week. Okay. I know you gave me time. Next episode, I promise. (laughs) This is not going to become a running bit where we're going to do this until January 2022. Are you actually? I saw your rating for uh, the the second movie, Uh, and I'm I'm not really interested in what you have to say about the Harry Potter movies. (laughs) Can you let me off the hook then? The prejudice in that two-star <laughs> review 
was so apparent to me. I didn't even write anything. I know, but that's all I needed. It was so disgusting in such a profound way for me that I basically said I need to take a break from Letterboxd. So thanks, Nico. <laughs> I like I didn't want to call attention to myself though. I tried slipping that it, thing in without oh any words. God. Like I tried doing that on Letterboxd. You know, I'm just putting the star rating in for you know, for bookkeeping purposes, and we're moving on. You gave it two stars. It's not a good movie. but Yes, it, it is. That's it, my it, problem. It, and that's why this is so fucking frustrating. There's nothing wrong with the movie. And I'm, then you're, you're on there saying it's a two-star thing. That implies it's a really bad movie. I'm, that implies there's not much merit going on there. I mean, it's a delightful experience. It's not as it's not great. It's not the best one in that series. And in a lot of ways, yes, I understand it owes a lot to that first movie. We'll get, I guess we'll get into that. But Jesus Christ, man, it's a perfectly well-made film. <laughs> I'm trying to resist the temptation to oh, yeah? like rain on people's parades. Okay? I just wanted to put my little two-star review on there and then write five paragraphs about pig. That's I what I did. I don't okay? think you can rain on people's I, parades no, for this one. Okay. It seems it seems like your thoughts are bullshit. I was purposely <laughs> trying to avoid this. Like I'm not trying to be that guy that's a take lord on Twitter that's like, "Well, actually Harry Potter sucks." All I'm saying <laughs> Is it's not for me, and I just oh. want to let that be known because you're making me make my opinions be known. No. But I'm trying to play this one close <laughs> to the vest. I'm trying to be low key about this, Adam. I just look at that and I'm like, 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 what the hell am I doing here? That that was literally my response. I'm when sorry, I saw the, but I'm, I'm I was like, what am I doing here? I'm <laughs> trying. I'm trying my best, okay? I just don't get them. I don't. Like this, I'm this trying to get them, me. and I don't get them. I'm sorry. That's fine. They don't make much sense to me. Whatever. I don't understand what everybody's seeing. I, I was bored. I was bored oh, out of my really goddamn bad. mind. Oh, that's so bad. I was bad. so bored. Oh, Half boy. hour in the flying car, Adam. <laughs> I was so bored. You were bored by that? That's strange, man. They do a lot of wonderful stuff with that car, and you're just like, eh, whatever. It's just- all right. Can we save this for next podcast? It's gonna be want- four. It's gonna be longer than the combined length of every every Harry Potter that. movie. <laughs> I just, but you have to know. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, no, I, I don't want to be a part of this this letterbox club anymore. Okay, just, so I'm, I'm, I'm out of it for a while. <laughs> you're, Jesus Christ, man, what the fuck? Okay, just understand that I I'm not doing this on purpose, and I'm not trying to be difficult, and I don't want it to be a running gag. I'm not taking a knee so many times that eventually we're not going to talk about that. We're going to do a Harry Potter podcast. Just understand that the task that you put in front of me is much taller than you thought. It shouldn't be. You're being a wuss. And it's just taking me a very long time. It's just taking me a long time. But we'll get there. Here's what I'm going to say. Grow a pair like your fucking cat and watch the movies. Uh, this is five movies nominated for induction into the movie hall of fame 1999's the sixth sense 2000's unbreakable 2002's signs 2004's the village and fast forward 13 years all the way to 2017 with split Mm. split rounds out the list there one of them getting into the movie hall of fame 
Um, I got lots of thoughts on all of these. I think we should yeah. just get right into it. Um, I, I will also mention the movies that were not nominated, and I guess we could briefly <laughs> gloss over those. Um, okay. 1992's Praying with Anger is actually his directorial debut student film he made over in India. Um, it is a movie that I don't think has been readily or is, is readily available or has been seen by many people, including mm. myself. I have not seen it. Um, so can't really speak to it. 1998's Wide Awake is like his first studio movie. Um, so technically, if you want to say it's his directorial debut, um, that would be an acceptable descriptor. But um, a movie that was famously cut to death by Harvey Weinstein and like stars Rosie O'Donnell for about 10 minutes, even though she's on the poster and in, in all the trailers and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, another movie about like rediscovering faith and about death. And it's, um, there's some supernatural shit in there. I haven't seen it, but I, I've heard a lot about it. And I actually wish that I watched it in preparation for this. Oh. I hear a lot of good things now anyway. And I don't know how much of that is like a reaction to the Harvey Weinstein of it all. Mm. Like to give the the film like a like a like a leg up because of that, right? You know, I sometimes worry that that sort of props up po- positive criticism for a movie, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it's good. I've, I I I have heard some nicer things over the years. I remember when I was first like checking out Shyamalan, it was ages ago, and that movie wasn't like I don't know hailed all too much. It was sort of forgotten, and then like in the recent years, that one's been getting brought up a lot more. So cool, yeah. The, the Shyamalan phase, we've all been there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it piqued my curiosity. I had yeah. seen the happening. The happening piqued my curiosity. Like, what? What in the fuck is this? Here, here are the other movies. <laughs> 2006's Lady in the Water talked about that on Why Is This a Thing? Baffling. Mm-hmm. Truly baffling. 2008's The Happening. Um, wow, candidate for a bottom five movie of all time. <laughs> it's definitely on the short list. It's not a bottom five movie, but it's funny to put it on that short list for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a ironically hilarious movie. It's too enjoyable to be put on that low you know what? list. That's that's, that's kind of the problem. That's true. It, I mean, it, it is a fun, bad movie. Did I ever tell you, like, I discovered that movie on HBO, and I think I said this on the other pod, or maybe it was off mic, but I said that, like, everyone has the room. And yeah. I eventually did see The Room, of course, but my room was The Happening. Yes. Just this beautiful introduction into how bad movies can really be mm. and how just perfectly miscalculated every choice can be mm. <laughs> from a directorial perspective, from how you cue your actors to the, the dialogue, even just to the way you frame your actors to look like little children, <laughs> which mm. is very bizarre in that movie. Uh but yeah, that was a hell of an experience, and it kind of set me down a certain rabbit hole with that movie. Uh, I once saw someone buy The Happening, and they hadn't watched it, <laughs> and I saw it like sitting on their floor. They had like a DVD copy, and I was like, Greg, what the fuck is this? He's like, oh, it's The Happening. I'm like, have you watched it yet? He's like, no. <laughs> It's like buying the tape from the ring. Yeah, it's like, dude, throw it on right now. (laughs) (laughs) To this day, Nico, he comes up to me and he's like, Adam, no, why would I do that? What? No, (laughs) no. What kind of terrorists are these? (laughs) Here's the thing about M. Night. Here's the thing about M. Night. You got to give it to him across the board. When his movies are bad, they are uniformly bad. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. There is a consistency. Like, everybody is on the same page. It just so happens that we went in the complete wrong direction. <laughs> how do you do that? That's yeah. what, what baffles my mind. It's right. insane how, like, perfectly bad he can be. And right. yet, so... Yeah, I just wish I just wish you could label that. Maybe maybe it's a good good idea that we don't label that because it makes it more mysterious and interesting. But it's incredible to me that he can be that bad and also that good with the sixth sense. Right. Well, sure. I mean, obviously, that's that's sort of the the uh, paradox of M Night in, in many ways. But I, I do think that there is a competence there to his bad movies in so far as you can tell every decision from how the actors are cued to how the script is written Mm -hmm. to how the shots are composed all feel of the same piece and it's just that you know it's it's not so much that we hit roadblocks along the way it's that the gps was just going to the wrong destination (laughs) you know like uh, that is the thing about the happening not only is every directorial decision wrong mark (laughs) Wahlberg is here's okay here's a more apt um I, i think superlative Mark Wahlberg is giving a bottom five performance of all time in that movie. (laughs) He is, I I mean, it is vampire's kiss level awful. (laughs) But is he aware of how bad it is? I don't think he was. No, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) I mean, God, every line reading is, um, I mean, it's like it's eighth grade theater class. Yes. It's like yes. The, the, if a kid took a theater class for the first time, that's how he would read some of those lines. Mm-hmm. The, when he talks about physicality. Yeah. Clutching that cereal box. It's the most obvious fucking choice. A truly baffling movie. We need to do that on why is this a thing one of these days? Yeah. I don't know why we haven't. Yeah. It's an incredible film. Yeah. Uh, 2010's The Last Airbender was my choice for worst movie of the 2010s. Haven't seen it. Not in its entirety. Okay. Yeah. Um, Obviously, huge Avatar fan and um, ruined my childhood, basically. Want to hear something else funny? Never seen a single episode of Avatar Last Airbender. Wow. Yeah. Is that right? Never have, which makes me more curious to watch the movie to let you know, you know, Nico, it ain't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) It actually, it's not that bad. It's okay. (laughs) Because it's usually the shoe is on the other foot in these situations. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know it's like not quite anime, but it's kind of anime, you know. It's and, it's it's anime enough, you know. I guess it's not not anime. Yeah, for about five years, Avatar was my favorite pop culture thing cool. in existence. Like, yeah, it's just a spectacular show. Wow. Uh, 2013's uh, After Earth um, is the Will Smith, uh, Jaden Smith. Uh, Double hander, two hander, <laughs> whatever you want to call that. Haven't seen it. Uh, 2015's The Visit uh, is an interesting inflection point, although I haven't seen the movie. I do want to talk about it later in relation to Split. Okay. Uh, 2019's Glass, mm-hmm. the sequel to both Unbreakable and Split, both of which we'll be talking about today, and uh, old, as we mentioned, 2021. Other thing about M. Night. The guy's just churning out movies. He does now work he like every... No, not now. I mean, look at the timeline. He's never taken more than three years off in between projects. Yeah, that's true. You know, it, it, you want to think of him as a guy that was sort of like sent into exile from Hollywood for a couple years. That just never happened. Like, he, oh. he kept writing scripts and stars kept wanting to, to make movies with him and he just kept making movies and uh, yeah. I don't know how he does it. I don't know either. No, I just the, the the voice behind him or the audience, whatever the crowd, I guess I should say, has sort of sprung back up in the in more recent years. 
even with films that are like polarizing in like a good way like a lot of the, the funny dissenting opinions on glass and all like the people who love it and all the people who hate it you know mm. there's there, it, this guy does something to people i don't know what it is he does let's get into it mm. when 1999's the sixth sense starring bruce willis Haley joel osmond and tony collette nominated for six count them six academy awards including best picture best supporting actor for Haley joel best supporting actress for tony collette best director best original screenplay and best film editing did not win a single one nope gotta walk out of those oscars with at least one you think so i do i do maybe maybe a boy who communicates with spirits seeks the help of a disheartened child psychologist. I should mention right now, it is impossible to talk about M. Night Shyamalan without talking about his twists. So just know, if you haven't seen any of these movies, check the description for this podcast. You can fast forward through it. Oh, my God. We're going to be spoiling every single one of these things. How do you so, not? How do you, first of all, how do you not know this twist? And how have you not seen The Sixth Sense at this point? Come on, yeah. guys. Come on. Right. This is a movie uh, that was produced by Disney. I believe Touchstone Pictures was the label. It was right after uh, Wide Awake, which was not a box office success or a critical one. Harvey Weinstein, obviously, his dirty fingers were in there. He writes the script and it like blows the industry away, sells it to Disney for $3 million. Wow. (laughs) Under also an agreement that he has to direct the movie too. So this is just the classic bet on yourself, you know, like Sylvester Stallone writing the script for Rocky and also starring in it. And uh, he gets the paycheck and ever since then has basically been given a blank check to do whatever he wants uh, because this movie just fucking knocks it out of the park. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? It is. It's such a good movie. It's a horror movie that becomes like a like a nice little nice little sweet drama <laughs> exorcist meets ordinary people is how m night pitched it oh uh, wow um i guess i haven't seen ordinary people i don't have much of a desire to uh, it's whatever it's fine it's you know what no it's a good movie you think it's so? a good movie yeah i right. i do i think All it's right. a good movie okay well, we'll see yeah um I don't know. It's funny. Like, it, it's funny to talk about this movie because I can't remember a time in my life where The Sixth Sense wasn't a thing. Mm. So it's just always sort of been around and I've always referenced it. I don't remember. It's been, God, I, I feel like I saw this one a little bit later, like like when I was in like middle school. But for some reason, it feels like I saw it when I was much younger, even though I I, I almost certainly haven't. And maybe mm. that's just the, the the way people talk about the movie and how even when I was a kid, this movie was super referenced. So... Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it, I like talking about this movie in relation to his other films. And it's funny, like, like when I watch something like the happening and then I think about this and it almost feels like a totally different dude in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I, and I try looking for the moves. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the more enjoyable things about it now. Cause I mean, like just about everything about this movie is kind of great. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of like, like wrong choices there's maybe a few lines that i would have been like oh that was a strange thing you had your characters say uh but for the most part everybody works and you know bruce willis is still quite good in it and Haley joel osmet is fantastic oh my like, god uh, uh, unbelievable in the movie that kid is great and he's even he's having a little bit of a resurgence too interestingly enough yeah yeah I see he, him pop he, all, he pops all over the place now 
Yeah, he'll be at like on Entourage for a couple episodes and like do like yeah, Big Bang Theory a little bit. Yeah, yeah. he's he's been a guy that's remained in the lexicon. Seems like a really chill dude. Yeah, I know. I like him a lot. Yeah, and it's funny that comes across when he's a kid because it is one of the more self-aware child performances I think I've ever seen. Like, it's not just cute kid doing cute kid things. Like he's acting, he's making choices in this mm-hmm. that, and, and from what I understand, like the audition just blew M night away. His father, um, Haley Joel Osment's father was also an actor. So he was, you know, very rigid, um, in terms oh, of I see. getting Haley Joel to understand the material, reading the script over and over again. So like, it is a serious performance. What I will add to that, both are great. Tony Collette, I rewatched the movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, just before coming on here, Tony Collette is like amazing in this and mm-hmm. is sort of the unsung hero. Um, Wasn't like, she nominated? She was nominated for, yeah, Best Supporting Actress. Um, and uh, she's in many ways like the heart and soul of this movie. A, a character that, and Roger Ebert hinted at this in his review in so many other movies is sort of dismissed as just the mom of the troubled kid. Um, and kind of like also like a, a, I don't want to say trashy mom, but like a, a troubled mom that doesn't quite know how to handle her kid because maybe she had her too had the kid too young or, uh, grew up as a single parent. Like normally you see that role as like just trailer trash heavy New York accent or whatever. Um, But there's like just a lot of pathos to that performance. And she really stood out on the rewatcher. This is the first time I saw the movie in eight years. And that was my big takeaway. Wow. No. Yeah. Like I, I see this movie every once in a while and I, I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't think I ever realized how like, like it's funny when I saw hereditary, I had forgotten she was in the sixth sense until I watched it like not so long after I, I, I'd watched it a couple months after I'd seen hereditary just on a whim. It's like, oh, yeah, shit, there she is. And I was yeah. kind of struck by the same thing just by the end. It, it is interesting when you put a mom character in a situation like this, how normally they are quite shitty, but she's actually the greatest victim of the movie in a strange mm-hmm. way. But, but but I love how she turns that around. And I, there's a, there's an interesting dynamic between her and her son, how you're not quite sure if she like like loves him or hates him. It, I mean, she doesn't hate him, but it's more of like a I am obligated to love him because I'm his mom. And how like, and I don't know what to do with him. Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. he's seriously fucked up. I exactly. mean, the stuff that happens in the first half of this movie, when all of the cabinets blow open in the kitchen, like how terrifying is that moment? Mm-hmm. The when hanging, he's screaming. See, every every shot of the hanging just gets me. Oh my god, I fucking yeah. hate that so much. And then yeah. the little girl in the kitchen when he hides under the table. Oh, I mean, yeah, that stuff's great. But even the first half, when before you find out about the dead people, because that also surprised me. Forty five minutes in is when he tells Bruce Willis, "I see dead people." Yeah. I mean, the first half is a old school seventies like <laughs> ghost family drama. It's it's really the last movie of its kind in many ways because it was the one of the biggest genres of movies. We just talked about the Omen a few weeks ago. Um, you know, it, it the Exorcist. It has a lot in common, a lot of shared DNA. Yep. Um, you know, The Shining. I guess has an element of that too. Um, but it it used to be the premier sort of horror uh, formula is, uh, you know, ghosts as a parallel for like a disintegrating um, household. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, there's some, there's lots of them out there, by the way, that we, we could almost do a whole genre on that. The innocence is a great film that we should probably talk about one of these days. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah there, there's a lot like that, but this is sort of the last like big one that made a lot of money at the box office and is like a pop culture staple still. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
she's really good in the movie. First half of the movie is terrifying. Second half of the movie yeah. is even more terrifying. Um, this movie we should mention too came out 1999. A lot happened that year. Uh, Blair Witch Project came out like two weeks before this movie. Is that right? Oh, Think God. about that for a second. Jesus. <laughs> You could have seen this on a double feature at your local cinema in 1999. 1999. What a year. I love that year for movies. Thing made uh, $27 million, uh, The Sixth Sense did, $27 million in its opening weekend. Ended up grossing $293 million Wow. total. One of those movies that just sort of grew and grew and grew and grew in estimation. And before the movie It, in I believe 2017, uh, this was the highest grossing horror movie of all time. Cool. Uh, so a major pop culture staple. So we're talking about this in comparison to the rest of his filmography. Yeah. Um, kind of strange to think about how sort of melancholic and moody of a director that M night used to be. He was e- even in, in his, even into what we're going to eventually talk about. Like it's it tracking that shift is kind of fascinating because I, yeah. I rewatched unbreakable and I was, amazed by how surprisingly mature that movie actually is and how deeply somber it is and kind of upsetting like really artsy fartsy that movie oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) but like but like just like donnie Wahlberg in in this movie though just seeing him like that's just doesn't feel like something Shyamalan would ever do now or would Uh have have the courage to go for now it's just a character like that that is just so shooken and withered away and just sad i and I, man, yeah, like, I don't know, the regression of this guy, like, saddens me, <laughs> because, like, that stuff is brilliant, and there's not yeah. a lot of, like, 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 moves like that in this movie that don't work for me, and I, I don't know, I don't know, it's another thing that just makes him so fascinating, is, like, I have trouble explaining it. Mm. Yeah. There's a subtlety to the movie. In this movie, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, they're, they're, I mean, obviously not the movies later on, they sort of beat you over the head with it. There's a lot of just, like, showing and not telling. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff with the color red, we'll talk about that in another movie coming up. Compare and contrast how the color red is used in this one and the color red is used in the village. Mm-hmm. Um, this, in this case, it's signifying whenever sort of the dead and the living cross streams, the color red appears. Either there's a bright red door, uh, like the church door, or you have, uh, you know, uh, Tony Collette's jacket or, um, like that's just such a smart, old school just like innovative mm-hmm. choice um mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a move that uh Sidney Lumet would pull a lot um Hitchcock it's a move did it tr- it's a move Hitchcock all the time sure mm-hmm. would prove uh would would uh yeah it's a move that he made a lot so yeah I mean there's just like a lot of great old school film making yeah <laughs> and it just feels like he only had one script like this in him and then he did it and then after that he had some pretty well-directed movies but I I don't think like the script has ever matched the direction in a way that it has in this one. It comes close. Like, I, I do think he has one more, like, like bona fide great movie. Uh, but it is surprising, like, like you get this good and you can't really tap quite into that ever again. Mm-hmm. You know, at least to the, to this avail. Like, like again, it just blows my mind that he has that at- attention to detail in something like this and then just sort of loses it along the way. I mean... There's, there's still plenty of supporters that would like champion him in something like the village, believe it or not. But oh, people champion the village. Yeah, no question has its defenders. Yeah. Uh, another takeaway on the rewatch: James Newton Howard, incredible score here. 
every score he does in Shyamalan's films are good, even Shyamalan's bad movies. They're all I good. Gr- I agree. Yeah. Uh, uniformly great. Um, yeah, in so many ways, this is like the last great old school horror movie. <laughs> and it, it's it's kind of funny that you know 1999 was the inflection point because you have the sixth sense and you have Blair Witch Project overlapping just a little bit the yeah. Venn diagram right you have everything before that which is you know horror for the most part was somber and family oriented and if it was violent it was horrifying in the violence it was like something that you had to look away yeah and then Blair Witch Project you get this very like realist. Um, cheap, sort of crummy-looking, revelatory type of horror. You get the Saw movies. Um, you know, you get the stuff with Blumhouse in the 2010s. Um, uh, it, it's it's kind of funny that this was the inflection point. This movie feels like it could have come out in 1975. It, and I understand yeah, yeah, yeah. why immediately the comparisons to Spielberg would have been made. Because there is a sort of, like, technical precision to every shot and just sort of like a, a pacing that's confident um there's just like there's so much old school pleasure in this movie although it is quite horrifying too it, it is like really a warm blanket of a horror movie it might be <laughs> I, the warmest blanket of a horror movie that's ever been yeah it's 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 very it's a very mannered movie in that way mm-hmm. and i think the craft is is impeccable uh but i kind of agree with that and i don't know i, I don't know what that is cuz i've watched this movie plenty of times and felt very very good while watching it despite how eerie it can get mm. you know and maybe that's Haley joel osment you know or maybe it's just the whole dressing of the the, the family element and like like sort of the the child perspective of that that he sometimes takes so and the I chemistry i think the chemistry sure. between the two of them is just palpable yeah and there's like that 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 fe- maybe the tragedy helps too like the movie is not doesn't have like an ending that's like how would you say like like there are horror endings that like like leave you traumatized and that's not quite what this is it just leaves you kind of sad but at but a little hopeful in in, a, in another way at the same time it's not it doesn't like like i don't know it doesn't leave you in a violent state if that no. makes sense and i do wish obviously that i would have been able to see the movie in the theaters to get that yeah, reaction oh my God. but for the most part from people that have seen the movie you know at its time not knowing what the twist was for the most part it's like eye-opening sort of like oh you got me like the end of a great magic trick like yes, a, exactly. oh shit moment world star hip-hop oh shit moment um so you know obviously it is a dour ending and the opening of the movie is very very dark and very yeah. disturbing um and it ends on a disturbing note but you know it is sort of like this great move of sleight of hand it is one of the great twist endings of all time and i i, I do know had i seen it in the theater i wouldn't have predicted it um <laughs> And which no. why it's such a bummer that I was born when I was born. But um, yeah, it, it isn't really a downer. And also 30 minutes of the movie, like probably a quarter to a third of the movie is just like Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment having chemistry. The scene, yeah. which is another just brilliant stroke of screenwriting where they play the game of take a step forward. If I can read your mind, take a step back if I yeah. can. And he sort of like inches close to Bruce Willis until the end where he pulls away. I mean, that is both incredible like world building and character building, but also just like cool movie shit. Just guy <laughs> and a kid getting along. You yeah, know? I agree. It's just entertaining stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a great movie. Uh mm-hmm. it's it's crazy that this guy made the happening. 
but he did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He was in a mood that day. I guess. <laughs> I don't know how you describe that one. I guess you only have one movie like this in you. Mm. Or most people do. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Not not no most people, yes, but no, there are plenty of directors that pull out movies that are like just always like one masterpiece after the other. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, you watch this and you're like, how did fucking Spielberg do it? Yeah. The guy's so easy to take for granted, but also like look at the ten movies that he made <laughs> in, between nineteen seventy five and nineteen eighty three and forget it. Yeah, not even close. That forget guy. It. You know, that guy didn't. He was born to make movies, I guess. I don't born know. Born to make movies. Jesus Christ. Anyway, they said this about M. Night Shyamalan in 1999. This guy's born to make movies. So let's give him a lot of money. 95, no, I'm sorry, $75 million, as a matter of fact, to make a movie called Unbreakable in 2000. This one stars Bruce Willis yet again, as well as Sam L. Jackson and Robin yeah. Wright, then Robin Wright Penn. I noticed that, yeah. A man learns something <laughs> puberty. A man <laughs> learns something extraordinary about himself after a devastating accident. That's the synopsis. Uh, only grossed ninety-five million at the domestic box office. So this is the moment. I sort of compare it to um, like uh, uh, Manhunter to uh, it's like Michael Mann's Manhunter to Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs is the difference oh. between Unbreakable and Split. You know. Split is like sort of like the crowd pleaser and like there's a lot of action and, uh, you know, it's got this performance at the center that's like really menacing and jumps oh. off the page. Whereas this one is kind of like moody and artsy and, you know, kind of slow, actually like yeah. really slow. And if you're going into this thing expecting a superhero movie, you're either going to be really refreshed or really sore about it. Uh, I love it. I do too. <laughs> I love it. It's, I do too. You know, some, you know, there are times where I think it's my favorite M night film. I don't know if it is myself as well. And it's great though. It's, it's a, a great, fucking great movie. It's a great idea. It's just a good idea. It's like, I, 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 again, it's like, I would see this movie and look at M night and be like, Oh yeah, this guy's got it. Clearly he's got it because this is a beautiful and very, very interesting take on the superhero genre that I never considered, you know? And yeah, I Tarantino put it best. It's one of his favorite films. It is. Uh, uh, he said, like, it, the I have movie it right need, here. I have yeah, it right the movie, here. movie needed to be pitched as what if Superman was walking amongst us and he didn't know he was Superman. Yeah. And that idea is so fascinating. Yeah. And you, you basically can't go wrong. There right. are so many interesting ideas to play around with at such an awesome human level yeah. in a way that you can't quite do with, like, other movies where he's literally Superman. Because that's kind of what Man of Steel does. Tries to like ground Superman in a way that's uh, a little sanctimonious, and well, and it, it does. Be- bo- well, he, Snyder attempts both. Snyder yeah. tries to ground him as like the kid from the country that mm-hmm. likes to play in the tall, great uh, blades of grass, yeah. like Terrence Malick style. But also, <laughs> he's destroying skyscrapers and isn't that cool too? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it just doesn't blend at all. It's like you got to kind of pick a lane in that sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy's an idea man, this M. Yeah. He's good with ideas. I mean, that's his greatest talent, and that's something he's never lost sight of. Mm-hmm. He knows ideas. He knows images. He, he, I mean, he is a filmmaker in that way. Yeah, 
Um, or a movie maker maybe is a, is a better way of putting it. <laughs> but it makes me wonder like what would, what would happen if you took some of those ideas that weren't as successful and churned them out into something really great. Mm. I wonder what the great version of the happening looks like. Right. And I'm sure everybody wonders what the great version of The Last Airbender looks like. Oh, my God. Yeah. We're still waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> we might get it one day. One day. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's such a shame that the movie didn't do that well at the box office. Obviously, they gave him another bite at the apple. But I feel like after this one, he he sort of lost the confidence to go slow. Maybe. You know, because the movie, I, I can see a certain film goer calling this movie boring. I don't think it's boring. I think like every frame is actually quite riveting and fascinating. And I love the choices that he makes in it. But after this one, he makes signs, which is this very populist Spielberg, uh, not quite Spielberg ripoff, but cut from the exact same cloth as Spielberg. Um, And that movie makes a lot of money. And then he just goes out and and makes more just sci-fi thrillers. Uh, But this movie is superhero film as pure origin story pure origin story not like uh you know ant-man got sucked into a machine that made him tiny and then (laughs) you know he's gonna fight a bumblebee for the next hour and a half it's not that it he wrote a script it was a three-act script for unbreakable he read the whole thing and he's like actually this first act stands out from the next two and so the first third of the movie makes up this entire movie just the origin and that's how the movie ends essentially with the first sort of face off with a bad guy like in a lot of like the modern superhero movies you would see that as the starter villain like you know spider-man like saves an old lady and picks you know and 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 beats up the goons at the bank before he fights the green goblin this one he's slowly discovering it and that twist obviously is the is the big reveal the big moment of catharsis but yeah, it's uh, it, there's so much restraint in the movie, and it's just something that is so refreshing in a movie landscape, specifically a superhero movie landscape, with no restraint. No, no, no. The this particular genre, I was yeah. stunned on rewatch how few cutting there is. It's yes. just scenes where he walks into an office and he just has a conversation with a woman at a desk, and it doesn't cut at all. It just lets the scene play out, and it works. Yeah. It works plenty well. And there's many, many, many moments like that in this film that just lets the room breathe as this character comes into the room and just lets his emotions out, whether it's to his wife or to his kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just love the unveiling of information, man. And in such in ways that are like perfectly appropriate for this movie, like in a way it's even, I, I, you know, I compare it to like, like the, the when Spider-Man, when Tobey Maguire is jumping across the roof, realizing like what he's actually capable of. Which is perfectly fine for that movie. But, like, I could see M. Night taking this material and making mistakes and having, I don't know, like, like um, David Dunn, like, lift a car or something. Mm-hmm. You know, and that would have been, I guess, fine. But it wouldn't have been as impactful as him being in the basement with his kid just, you know, weightlifting. There's mm. something so charming and real about that. And you feel... Here, here's the re- the other reason why it works so well for me is because I think you've always wanted to be David Dunn in that moment. Mm. It's like, put more on. Let's see what I can actually do. And you could lift anything. Mm. You might be able to lift the weight of a car, but you're not actually seeing the car get lifted. And that's what's kind of funny. Yeah. I like it a lot. It, it is a very domestic movie, as you said. It's yeah. a movie that is set in the home. There's a lot of stuff with Robin Wright. There's a lot of stuff about their yeah. crumbling marriage. The son is a is a major part of it. You know, he 
sort of has Haley Joel Osment vibes, that kid. Um, M. Night, his characters don't really vary that much from movie to movie. Uh, no. So, you know, there are character beats that repeat themselves. But here it definitely works. Look, compare that climax in the just neighborhood home, oh, beating yeah. up some robbers and falling into a pool with the end of Avengers Endgame. And uh, it's like, how were these two movies made in the same universe? You know, never mind in the same country under the same system by the same studio. Think about yeah. that one for a second. It's crazy, right? Disney made both of these movies yeah. <laughs> 20 years thing, apart, you know? It is that, see they, from that perspective it's 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 absolutely insane to me. The thing is though you say that and the I think the implication is that like one is clearly better than the other and to me it is, but there are many people that would disagree with you on that where it's like where yeah. is the fight at the end? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's maybe the most upsetting part. And it's like that's clearly not what this story is about. Mm-hmm. It's about a guy finding himself and that's mm-hmm. that should be enough. For a movie like this, that should always be enough for a superhero film, especially in an origin story for the love of God. And we've definitely seemed to forget about that in a lot of ways, like 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 the origin story maybe never got better than this. Well, origin stories have sort of become a a dirty word now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're trite because Mm -hmm. every single one of them is the same. And one of the major complaints you see in, uh, you know, uh, a movie like. I guess Black Panther is not a good example, but like when something like Captain Marvel comes out, it's like another origin story. Let's just get to the part where she's kicking ass. But what you forget is, yeah, the most meat on the bone is in that origin story. M. Night discovered that he had this whole script. and He's like, actually, the first act is if we really explore it, that's where we can learn the most about this character. Um, And it, it shouldn't just be a thing that you have to rush through in order to get to the part that everybody wants to see. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you have to just slow it down. I, I agree with you. This is the best origin story movie. If if not, frankly, one of the best superhero movies ever made. Absolutely. I, it doesn't get lumped into the conversation because it's not a comic book adaptation. No. Um, but it is, it is right up there with the Logans of the world, with the Dark Knights of the world, with yes, the Spider-Man 2s of the world. Um, yeah, it... it it is tremendous. I haven't seen it in a while. I, I should have rewatched it for this um, so I could give you more specifics. But yeah, it's a movie the first time I saw it that it was instantly like, oh, this sort of changed the game for me. And I think in order to find the way forward, superhero <laughs> movies have to start looking back a little bit and they need to rediscover the mood of this one. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. At least take notes. At least know like how little you can get out of your character just falling into a pool or just something mundane like that. Like the scene of with Jack Nicholson following the guy into the train tracks is absolutely riveting. And it's just like simple film manipulation. You know, they just they just know how to like Did you say like, Jack cu- Nicholson? Did I say Jack Nicholson? Jesus Christ. You did. Sam, Sam <laughs> I'm thinking of the Joker for some reason. <laughs> Sam Jackson. I'm like, did I forget? I know it's been a while, but is Jack in this movie? You know that 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 <laughs> you know that man with the purple suit. It was yeah. actually the Joker. Okay. I'm sorry, Nico was actually the Joker. The guy who kept breaking his legs. The Joker. Come on, does it got, every time? Got you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, but the scene with Sam Jackson. God damn it! I I like like even that scene is just like like that's not something that normally plays in a movie like this. But it really is just a guy walking after another dude because he's suspicious of him, and it is so thrilling to watch. Just like mm-hmm. the cutting between him going from one step to the next to the grabbing of the bars, and just how that ratchets up for every step he takes. It's oh, it's like if you take one more, I know you're gonna slip, and sure enough, he does. 
mm-hmm. he still manages to get the information that he wants and just what that says about his character is so fucked up. And you should, and again, like, it's just good character work. Like, that lays out a piece for what is going to happen later brilliantly so that when the twist does happen, you're like, yes, again, shit, I got, it, yep, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. It all makes sense. And that's all, yeah, and that, that's all you ever want for a great twist anyway. we I mean, we've talked about this enough, but, you know, it's great to see them do it right. <laughs> Right, you want a twist that is going to recontextualize the movie for you in a more interesting way. Yeah. So many twists, they make the movie either less interesting or they're predictable and they feel sort of tacked on. I'm thinking about the movie Us, which is a movie that I liked a lot more than you did from a few years ago, but that's (laughs) an example of a twist that just feels tacked on and from a different movie and it doesn't really enhance it in any meaningful way. Unfortunately, though, like that's an example of a, of a twist that to me actually harms the movie where you yes. reflect on it a bit and you're like, oh, God, what, why that, that changes a lot of these scenes for me and not the best kind of way. Yeah, and, and, and a, I agree with you in a worse way. And I, I think just muddles the movie in general. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's just not a lot of clarity. I think a good twist makes you go, oh, and like I knew it even though I didn't know yeah. it all along. Yeah. <laughs> like exactly. there was something deep down in me that knew that that was true. And when you finally pointed out to me. I mean, it's just it's so satisfying as if you were to go through that. I think in general, I've sort of soured on the movie twist a little bit. Yeah, I it's, I think part of it is just because we haven't seen a lot of good ones lately. Yeah. You know, but because what it, dude, there is nothing better than that moment of realization with a good twist. It's just like, oh, the way it like floods over you, like that level of clarity. It's just an it's usual one of the suspects best, is a moment like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's really wonderful, you know, and it doesn't happen very often. That, mm-hmm. that, and that's part of the problem. And I think that's why, like, anyone at this point would kind of sour on the movie twist. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than the it was all a dream kind right. of thing, you know. And I'm thank God that's kind of gone away, but still. Well, I, I think I kind of resent the fact that unpredictability comes down to one moment. Yeah, I know. I get that, too. And so I think, like, that's where I'm, I'm sort of drawing the line recently. I love unpredictable movies. Mm-hmm. I love when characters act unpredictably. I like when scene to scene you don't know where the movie's going. Me, too. Like that to me is, you know, pure unpredictability and surprise, whereas just like one little magic trick at the end of a story, like I think about the prestige as an example. That's a that's a cool move that Nolan plays at the end of that. But I'm not sure that moment goes any deeper than just look at how good I am at this craft, (laughs) you know, sort of him flourishing for the audience of like, I got (laughs) you. And I like to me, that's just not as profound as a movie. I think I talked about this recently, like uh, Margaret, um, which is just on a scene to scene basis. You have no idea where the thing's going. Um, And also M. Night's partly to blame for this because his twist started sucking uh, later on in his career. So, yeah. So I, I, I kind of agree with that. You know, you know my feelings on the prestige. It's a little more appropriate with a movie like that, but well, it's a movie about magic. So magic, that's yeah. So it's yeah. like, well, come on. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'll say this. I mean, Nolan has done future twists, and they've been significantly worse. So, you know, there you yeah. go. Hmm. I don't know, man. <laughs> what? What's your example? What's your alternative? I love that magic bookshelf. Oh, you do. Everybody <laughs> hates the bookshelf. Even the most ardent defenders of that fucking stupid movie. Like, sometimes I just hear a bump in the night and I'm like, is that McConaughey? Is McConaughey trying to tell me something? It's one of the dumbest ideas a filmmaker's ever had, I think. <laughs> the fucking bookshelf. How can you possibly get more lame? 
I guess we'll talk about a few movies on this list, but how could you possibly get more lame? <laughs> Uh, this I, I wanted to be snarky about this transition and be like signs from 2002 but no I actually like the movie I'm not going to disparage signs uh, it's not lame at all it's a good movie starring Mel Gibson Joaquin Phoenix Rory Culkin Abigail Breslin a young Abigail Breslin she's delightful of this by the way I love yeah, little is. Abigail Breslin this. Uh, and Cherry Jones president uh, from 24 a family living on a farm finds mysterious crop circles in their fields which suggests something much more frightening. Mm-hmm. Grossed $227 million at the domestic box office. $72 million budget. He's back, man. Yeah. The Hitchcock of his generation. Master of suspense. Just making a good old popcorn movie. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but it's just in one farm <laughs> yeah. instead of all over the world. Just bring those stakes down to microscopic levels. Um... Rewatch this one again. This is one that I this actually was probably my first M Night movie because my uh, dad really likes this movie, um, yeah. and it was on TV a lot as a kid, and I remember watching it with him. Um, but I hadn't seen it in a while, and I I wanted to watch it with some adult eyes. Okay. Um. What What do you think about it? You know. Uh, whew, that's the best way to describe this. It's kind of the moment where the seams start to show for M Night. Hmm. I like the movie. I still like the movie. It's not like like my opinion on Inception or something. Although not, it's kind of close to that. You know, I, I I guess I like this one a little bit more. But um, yeah, like like the strange directorial choices for his actors, the weird behavior, the weird pans that he does in dialogue scenes, which are totally unnecessary, and they kind of pad out the movie in a way that doesn't quite work for me. And the dialogue is occasionally strange. And it's also an instance where, like, the story wasn't completely thought out. And everyone's talked about the fucking water thing to death. I don't really care, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the movie is very, very, very effective. And yeah. that's kind of what keeps me from, like, like coming down on this movie too hard. Like I said, it's definitely where, like, the, the, the parody Shyamalan starts to show its face, which is fine. Um, but he hasn't gone full lady in the water. That's for sure. Right. And I just think like when this movie needs to be scary, it is scary. When it yeah. needs to be heartfelt, it is heartfelt. When it needs to be just plain suspense, not necessarily horrifying, it is suspenseful. When it needs to prod your imagination, boy, does it do it. So I can't really come down on this movie all that hard. Yeah. And, and on subsequent viewings, despite some reservations, it is a lot of fun. It is the most Spielbergian of the bunch. Yep. Yeah by a mile um i i actually think like it's exquisitely directed and pretty mm-hmm. horribly written and mm-hmm. i think that's what you mean when you yeah. say the seams are starting to show themselves like uh it is pretty obvious at this point that for as talented as a visual filmmaker this guy is yes. he cannot write dialogue to save his goddamn life <laughs> and it is so frustrating but i mean he's in this weird zone where he got the blank check early and he made six cents, so he sort of got grandfathered in. And, and like, as long as he wants to write his own scripts, he's gonna write his own scripts. And there's nobody yep. that's gonna tell him no because he's at that weird level where he's yeah. not quite Scorsese, but he's also you know not small enough where he would have to take a Marvel movie every now and again for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. He's still gonna get money to make these weird scripts of his. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the dialogue here is weird. Hey, here's yeah, something yeah. that stood out on rewatch. 
the humor that is sprinkled out, or at least the attempts at humor, are very oddly placed. There's a yeah. scene in the army recruitment office with like the head recruiter in the town. Uh, I, I read a review recently that compared that guy to a Lynch character, and like <laughs> I think it's pretty spot on. Like I don't know what the hell that guy is saying or talking about. Um, there's that scene where Joaquin Phoenix and Mel Gibson are searching down the 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 who they believe are intruders on their property like the the local boys yeah. are like messing with their crops and they're, and they're running around the house and they're like did you i swore did you see i, I did you hear i said bitch you know and, <laughs> like he's but he's like the down-to-earth pastor that doesn't swear like there's a lot of like weird attempts at humor and like it throws the tone off like the if if i wanted to nail down the the one thing that that m night just doesn't get right at least nowadays it's tone um <laughs> it's his i think fatal flaw and i think in many ways it was his biggest asset in his early days but there's some weird tonal stuff happening in this movie yep that being said the highs in this movie mm-hmm. are super fucking high yep they're really really the knife under the door the effect of uh mel gibson uh using the knife not as a weapon but as a mirror and like I you just think that. the alien is going to jump out from behind him. The way that he sort of shoots it, you're just expecting the worst to happen. To, you know, and the worst kind of does happen, but it doesn't. It's like a weird anti-climax at the end of it. Um, I love it. The flashlight stuff in the basement. That is low-key, the flashlight scene. Like A lot of people talk about one other scene, which we'll talk about, and for yeah. good reason. But that flashlight scene with the hand doesn't get enough credit. It's one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Oh, my God. I, yes, yep. the hand obviously coming through the vent, but... Also, the way that flashlight just sort of hangs out on the floor and M. Yeah. just fixes the camera to it and doesn't move. Mm-hmm. Like, it's super unsettling. The way the camera moves in that scene, you complained about it in other scenes, and I guess I agree with you in the dialogue sequences, but in those horror sequences, um, it is really unnerving stuff. Yeah. I like, know. you don't know where you are geogra- geographically. You don't know where the aliens are. Uh, you don't know where the light's coming from, if the light's going to go out. Um, it, totally thrilling, and then obviously the the ending scene with the reflection in the TV. Uh, that's just an image that's etched in your brain. If you watch it at a young age, especially like that's just going to fuel your nightmares forever. Um, strokes of genius. Uh, so <laughs> highs the highs are very high. Yep. Now on a script level, okay. <laughs> the ending is um. <laughs> a bit on the nose. Is that yeah, fair I, to say? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Here's a theory for you. M. Night Shyamalan is writing this movie about the Christian faith Yeah. as not a Christian man. He was raised Hindu, born in India, raised Hindu, went to Catholic high school in Philadelphia, though. That's where okay. he grew up, went to school. He's kind of approaching... Christianity from this distance he talks about a lot when he was in high school being sort of the kid left out felt very uncomfortable you know not being Catholic and being told that you're going to go to hell if you don't repent it it feels like a movie that is very faith based but it is the type of faith based movie a non-Christian would make and that it's aliens right it's a it's a religious (laughs) horror movie yeah it's a religious horror film um in a weird way, like I respect it, but I like I also don't know if you put enough thought into that ending, you know? No. Well, that, that does it does it go at odds with the whole idea of like a you know his his conflicts with religion because it seems to sort of embrace religion. It, but in a very perverse way. 
it, <laughs> yeah. You know? No, it, but that's my point. It, 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 I guess it kind of relates to tone, is that it doesn't seem to, to settle into one idea or the other, and as a result, you're kind of unsure of how you're supposed to feel. Yeah. I mean, there's so many scenes like that, though. I mean, Christ, like, trying to identify the humor in this movie, too, like, with the hats. Yeah, oh, right, I had that note as well. It's yeah. like, what? Like, so, 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 so much of that. We're just like, that was weird, but I guess I'm cool with it. I guess my question comes down to, like, are we, um, hmm, I, I, have we been tricked by Shyamalan in this one? In the sense of, like, yes. like, like, yes. we, yeah, we like you. That was good. Yeah, that was okay. Like that. I think <laughs> that he's always, I think he's always been a very manipulative director. Yes, I agree. And I sometimes mean that as a compliment, and I sometimes don't. But this is the one movie where it's like your eyes are betraying what your brain is telling you. And that this script should not fucking work. But I, the guy, the kid just directs his ass off in this. Like, just every scene, every shot is very well considered. And it is a gorgeous movie to look at in many ways. Sure, sure, sure. The crop circles are gorgeous, all done practically, did not want to do CGI. Um, you know, the action sequences, the horror sequences, that final night, brilliantly staged, mm-hmm. beautifully staged. There's a lot of just like obfuscation in the way that he puts images in the foreground and images in the background. No, I, um, I, I, I think this. about the shot where he's talking to his daughter about the night she was born and they're hammering the nails on the door mm. and he shoots it through the, the, uh, the, 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 the wood planks. Um, it. so yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of all spectacle, but I'm, I'm, totally okay with it like and i'm also okay with the schmucky ending too in a lot of ways like i i sort of have a soft spot in my heart for endings like that i know you do it doesn't like hurt me too to see endings like that either yeah and i wouldn't even go as far to say it doesn't earn it i guess it fits i wouldn't say it's like out of place or anything i mean the movie does enough of the work it's not like the death of his wife is this thing that's just brought up and then oh 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 that's what it was that one scene where they talk about his wife like it's nice and, and implied and laid out throughout so the character works there uh by the way mel gibson really yeah, good in the movie i think he's okay really you know how, my, how much i love mel gibson i, I think he's okay you I, that's right you fully embrace mel gibson i do i've embraced that man i even through his <laughs> hardest times when he lost those laker tickets i gave him a big old hug i saw i <laughs> i took him to aa i hold i held his hand and dragged him uh, to aa okay we've been through some shit together man yeah, no, you've spent a lot of time talking about certain religious minorities, too. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You've compared a lot of notes. <laughs> Big Bill gives it No, I think he's really good in the movie. I know he's overacting. He's definitely he's, overacting. Yeah. Yeah. He's overacting. I don't really see his character. Like, it's it, to me, the character is very, like, flat and, un, and not particularly memorable. Uh-huh. And, and that's my biggest problem with the movie is like unlike Unbreakable and The Sixth Sense and uh, a few other characters later on in some of uh, uh, M. Night's career. I'm not like like identifying with many of the people in this movie. It's a little hard. I, I guess I, I kind of like the kid actors. Oh, yeah. They're, they're fun, yeah. despite how strange they can sometimes be. Yeah. But and yeah, Joaquin's the, good. Yeah. Yeah. Joaquin's good. What's yeah. what's the Culkin? Which Culkin is that? That's Rory. Rory Culkin from Scream Four. Yeah, yes, yes. that's right. Okay, yeah. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Every the, I, I think I I enjoy the kids a little more than the adults. There's just something very cold about the way they're 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 tuned or something. But yeah, they're okay. 
Um, but, but here's the thing: is that character, the Mel Gibson character, that much different than Bruce Willis in Unbreakable? Like, I, I know no, the wife's no. not dead, but it's like kind of a stoic guy that has marital issues and like crises <laughs> of faith. Like, I don't know. Like, Walking Phoenix in in the the village is like that. Uh, yes, you know, there's there's a lot of like this sort of stoic dude that has not had the best luck with women. Yeah, I, I, hate to, I hate to, as much as I don't want to admit this, I think Bruce Willis gets a little bit more out of his characters than Mel Gibson does. There's nothing even remotely close to being as compelling when Mel Gibson, or Jesus, when Bruce Willis is sitting at the table and he's looking at his son and he just mouths, you you were right. And there's does the shh. Yeah. That is such a beautiful and touching moment. And he just Great plays moment. it so, so perfectly. And and there's just a tremendous amount of character in that, like that you just see even if he doesn't full on say it. And I don't quite get that out of Mel, like like, the, and which is which is upsetting because to me, one of the greatest attributes for someone like Mel Gibson is that he's he's always able to say a lot without, you know, like speaking all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, just his his physical acting is wonderful, whether it's in like Mad Max or or, or the Lethal Weapon series or anything like that. I just love mm-hmm. him for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, agree or disagree on that. Yeah. The last note that I have and. Uh, this is maybe I'm viewing it through the M night lens because all of his movies are supposed to end with a twist. This kind of ends with a twist, but it doesn't really. Um, mm. d- did you feel, and this goes back to the tonal thing. First time you watch it, try to go back in your mind, see if you can recall. Did you feel like the aliens weren't real? Like they weren't like it was all a dream. kind of. Yeah. Thing? Yeah. Or like there was going to be a twist. Like th- this was a hoax or like, because as a kid, I, I don't know if I was like sophisticated enough to know whether or not they were real. I just sort of took it at face value. But watching it now, like you mentioned the tinfoil hat scenes. You look at Joaquin Phoenix wearing the tinfoil hat with the two kids next to him. And you think this is a guy that's been brainwashed by the media. <laughs> like, you, you know, th- this is not a guy that is supposed to be right like the, the the shot feels like it's ridiculing him and it just feels like the whole movie is building to some sort of twist and you think like the twist is the aliens aren't real but then it turns out in a weird way that the twist is that the aliens are real even though it's not really a twist does that uh, make sense you, you mean well the aliens are definitely real no they're real but but you're, you're saying that the twist is that oh they weren't crazy if, yeah it felt like it was building to them not being real you know I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, maybe I should rewatch it to get a sense of that. I always felt like the the twist was just, they die by water. <laughs> that that right. was the twist. Or that God manufactured the whole thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, there's also <laughs> That's that. kind of the twist, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if I ever got that impression. No, I, I just took it as like a nice little, like, like, like horror thriller. You know, with a family like constantly looking over their shoulders or out the window to see what was watching them. And it just worked as that kind of suspense. But yeah, yeah, I guess it's just I I don't know. It's weird seeing such like a slow burn in movies like this because you're so conditioned for the twist. But it tells you within the first 30 seconds, aliens are in this universe and it really never diverts from that. It's just like the slow realization, close encounter style that that these are actually aliens. Yeah. And they're, they're coming, but they're not really going to hurt you. They might kind of hurt you. We'll and, see. They yeah. might. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I don't know the, watching it the next, the, the, this past time, <laughs> it just felt like it was telegraphing a twist that never came. I don't know. All right. Uh, I'd have to, maybe like just a, a tonal thing with M night. That's, that's most likely what it is, but yeah. it, I don't know. 
don't know. Who knows? I have to rewatch it. I just have to know, by the way, has maybe my favorite jump scare with the alien walking across the garden. Yeah, were you that scared by the... Oh, 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 at the beginning. In the farm. And not in the farm? No, I'm talking about the Mexican kids shooting outside their window. It's one of the scariest things I've ever seen. See, I disagree. I didn't find it that scary. You are very much in the minority on that. Th- I know I am, because I saw it was declared minor- one of the scariest movie scenes of all time by some magazine. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a brilliant... Like, I can't think of you possibly making that any better. <laughs> yeah, that's See, up there. That, that's huh. almost in a, like a top 20 scary movie moments for me. Funny, yeah. Not not in my top 10, but yeah, top 20, yeah. See, I find the shot in the TV much scarier. Oh, I see. I disagree with that. find a it lot of, much, much scarier, yeah. A lot of that is a company with like how many people are in the room, so it's part of the setting. It's also the music that doesn't quite sell it in that way. It's well, there's like, barely it's, any music, right? I think there's a little bit. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. But I just, I don't remember it being as shocking, you know? I think that's partly because of like you were used to the aliens a little bit more at that point. You know, for right. me, the, the only other thing that compares is the hand in the cellar. Yeah, that, hand that, in the cellar. That oh, the door, the door too. A little bit. Yeah, under the oh door yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's lots of like great moments like that. I just think that that the alien walking across the the little alcove there, just like Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something just, about it though, too. It's on TV. They sort of warn you that it's coming. You know, you're not actually the, in the room. That's part of what makes it so freaky to me. I don't know. Huh. Yeah. It, I mean, it, you, you relate to it as a member of the audience even deeper, though. You know? I don't know. It's just, there's, a, there's a meta quality to it in that way. But, yeah. I don't know. I've been there where I've just been watching a video and waiting for, like, the shocking thing to happen. Same thing with a movie. And, yeah, I don't know. It kind of <laughs> kind of unnerved me. Yeah. Hmm. I think okay. it's great. That's, that's signs. Signs. Let's move on. 2004's the village the village let's fucking do this oh starring bryce dallas howard joaquin phoenix william hurt sigourney weaver adrian brody fresh off an oscar for the pianist that's right is that oh god <laughs> oh no okay <laughs> strange choice judy greer and brendan gleason what a cast great cast great cast too good some might say Nominated for Best Original Score at the Oscars. Cool. That's well deserved. A series of events test the beliefs of a small, isolated countryside village. I would say an accurate description. <laughs> this movie cost $60 million to make, made $114 million domestically. Here is the movie where the collective film world is just like, fuck this dude. Yep. Fuck this guy. They are tired of his shtick, and yeah. they saw right through it. Yeah, um, I I can only say the first time I saw this movie, I predicted the twist. You did. I did. Wow. Well, the, what the, what part of the twist? Oh yeah, which one of the five twists? Yeah. Did I predict. I, I'm not sure. I, I predicted I, the final one. Really? I you did. predicted the the fact that they're actually yeah. in a in in a fake woods. I did. I would have probably been able to predict. I don't know. I I mean, I I knew what happens in this movie before I saw it. Uh-huh. So I, I can't attest to that, but yeah, I guess that's surprising. I definitely felt very proud of myself too when I sussed oh, it out. Good for I'm you. like, I noticed that there wasn't like the title card at the beginning and you know, they didn't tell you what year it was. And like, they're also really telegraphing it when William Hurt is t- talking to the people like we could put this whole village at risk, what we're doing here, we'll put it at risk. And yeah, like it, there's a lot of shit in there. 
Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I did see it coming, but I gave it a second viewing for this because as I recall, this movie sucked. Mm-hmm. Well, I still believe that, but <laughs> I, I am viewing it through a slightly different lens now. What what lens is that? Because okay. I saw it. I saw it like for for its entirety for the first time. By the way, uh huh. First time like really watching it all all the way through. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, go ahead. What'd you think of it? I mean, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, there are people out there who think it's the worst movie ever made, and it's not. Roger it's not. Ebert. No. Roger it's not. Ebert fucking hated this movie. Really, like famously hated this movie. Want me to read it? Go ahead. From Ebert's one-star review of The Village. (laughs) Eventually, the secret of those, etc. is revealed. Those that we do not speak of is who he's referring to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To call it an anti-climax would be an insult not only to climaxes, but to prefixes. (laughs) It's it's a crummy secret. About one step up the ladder of narrative originality from it was all a dream. It's so witless. In fact, that that when we do discover the secret, we want to rewind the film so we don't know the secret anymore and then keep rewinding and rewinding until we're back at the beginning and we can go up from our seats and walk backward out of the theater and go down the uh, up escalator and watch the money spring from the cash register into our pockets. Jesus Christ. What a review. That's fantastic. (laughs) The film is literally about stabbing. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's some shade. Wow. 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 (laughs) Wow. Mike fucking drop. Damn. Insult to not only climaxes, but prefixes. Jesus Christ. That's that's too clever for its own good. That's too fucking clever. Jesus. Guy's my fucking idol, man. I love that dude. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I I I mean, no, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It's I. It's got some moments of tension, and it's fine. It's beautifully shot by Deacons. 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 The The big homie. Yeah, you know, apparent. So I was reading about this. Apparently, he had a great time making this movie too, which baffled me. Had a good time making it, but he was very put off by how precision based uh, uh, M Night was. I was gonna say that because every cinematographer that works with M Night hates him. Yeah, yeah. For what it seems like, yeah. It seems like, yeah. No, he was like, he's like, I actually had a good time. It was, it was interesting. But yeah, he, he was a little too like, like. He writes the storyboards and there's no, like, alteration ever. That's what you're shooting. And it was a bit restrictive, but that was, like, the biggest criticism he leveled against him. Now, maybe that was old interviews that came out, like, only a year or two afterwards. And maybe he would have more uh, inappropriate things to say about him now. But, yeah. (laughs) I'd love to see them work together again. I mean, definitely. It it is a weird combo, though, the two of them. Very. Especially when you, like, see interviews with the two of them and, like, one is this very, like, so intelligent. There's no one, like, more intelligent than Roger Deakins and just so good about talking about movies and just so understands what he he has to do. Uh And then, like, you get M. Night is just, like, a film lover. He's just, like, a movie geek and it's really funny. Like, one is a sophisticated gentleman and the other one is this, you know, nerd in college that spends all of his time in his room. (laughs) Right. So. 
Yeah, it, it's uh, it's weird how like some of those compositions, they were M Night compositions, but they were like lit like a Deacon's shot, and yep. you you kind of just want to see the thing in widescreen. And M Night does a lot of close ups, especially now he does like a whole lot. Oh of my god, yeah. And it, he doesn't really let Deacon sort of breathe. Like, there's a few shots. There's some gorgeous shots. For yes, example, of Bryce Dallas Howard and Walking Phoenix when they're in front of the haze. And, and oh, Deacon just lights the fog like it's fucking Fantastic. like a planet in Star Wars. Like it just it's it looks like from another universe. One of his great shots. I think about that shot all the time because yeah, I've seen the, it. I've seen it like referenced in other videos. It's one of those one perfect shot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One perfect frame. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Shots. So, right. There's some really good stuff in there. And most of it is like shot naturalistically. Yep. A lot of it's just candlelight or moonlight or daylight. Um, so Deacons gets the most out of it, but then again, you have this M night, this twitch to sort of just like push the camera in and like make weird cuts. And there, there's some like weird depth of field shit that's happening in the movie too. Like there's a lot of hand shots in the movie. The movie like lingers on hands a lot. I'm thinking of this one shot where remember they're at the, the ball, they're at like the village ball. And the others are coming or are invading and they hear the others in the distance. They hear screams in the distance. And Bryce Dallas Howard, she uh, holds her camera out uh, or her, her uh, hand out to the camera. Bryce Dallas Howard is blind in the movie, by the way. And yeah, uh, me. Right. <laughs> I think she's good in the movie, but that's me. Mm, OK, I think she's better than other people in the movie. That's, How about that? I guess that's. I don't think she's bad in the movie, but she's quite bad at acting like a blind person. Fair I, I just like to say that. Yes. But she holds her hand out, and then so it it kind of like goes out of focus for a second, and then Walking Phoenix snatches it. I like that move. Yeah, the, and he repeats that move a couple times. So like, yeah. there's some good M Night shit in there for sure. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of a match made in hell. These two, like, it's it's fascinating to watch, but I'm not sure it's always, you know. No. That- Kind of square peg and round hole, you know what I mean? They feel like polar opposites, with especially with their filmmaking sensibilities. Because, like, Deacon's... When you look at a Deacon's film, and then you compare it to all the other films he's shot, they do feel like they're cut from a similar cloth. Mm. Or from a similar, like, sort of, like, I don't know, cinematic poetry. That's sort of what Deacon's is always kind of looking for. He's looking for images that are more about the feeling and the and where the audience needs to be, more so than just, like, style, style, style. Mm. You know? So there's that. Um... But like I said, there's a sophistication of what Deacons is doing, even over what like like M Night is doing. It's like it's sort of this ineffable quality to to cinematography. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know if like like <laughs> man, because I was thinking about it when watching this. Just like 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 this movie looks like you know like for, if you took any like scene from it and just like played like three seconds, I would think it's this like beautiful period piece that's made by i don't know milos foreman <laughs> right it's like barry linden or something exactly exactly yeah, exactly yeah. you feel like it's going to be this more crushing film that's a little more mature and and then monsters come into the fray or supposed monsters come into the fray and then weird acting pops up you don't and then say. even weirder dialogue pops up not as worst dialogue i will say i was expecting it to be as worst but it's What's- not it's not, it's not great, but... Let's talk, let's talk about the dialogue. Okay. okay. Horrendous dialogue at the movie. All yeah. throughout. <laughs> it's there, it, like, how are He's you He's a judging? bad writer of dialogue, this guy. I know, but it like... It was like, a farce all along. <laughs> it's just a farce. 
<laughs> Come on, Adam. It's, it's supposed to be period accurate. I don't know. It's not, though. <laughs> How do you know? I, I don't know. But I... <laughs> I, I feel like, I, like I've i never been to a Renaissance fair, but I feel like dialogue at Renaissance fairs might be a little more period accurate. You know, it's hard to see something like The Lighthouse, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, where Robert Eggers is just like combing through fucking Viking books and like, you know, uh, words etched in stone and <laughs> is, you know, compiling like the most period accurate time capsule of all time and then you watch something like this the guy is barely a competent writer of dialogue in modern vernacular and then yeah. he goes back and it's just so fucking corny yes and these actors great actors most of them all of them it's Gordon fucking weavers, in this, weavers in this yeah okay and william hurt who i love in everything is really bad in the movie and like i can't get over how bad william hurt is in this movie but watching it a second time knowing the twist I feel like either intentionally or unintentionally, it works insofar as these are people pretending to speak the vernacular of the time. Do you know what oh. I mean? It, it's like, way? it's, yeah. I, again, I'm not giving him credit because I doubt that this was intentional, but it sort of mm-hmm. makes sense that people that are playing the part of frontiersmen or like villagers in the late 1800s would speak in this like jilted of a fashion does that make sense i suppose yeah like that like there would be a more of an uncanny valley effect like if you were say you were to get a time machine and introduce them to the real thing those people would be like okay i see what you're saying but something's off right okay so maybe it you know again i don't think he was doing this intentionally i think like he really (laughs) wanted to shock you there but the bad acting and the bad dialogue kind of does telegraph the twist in a weird way like it does sort of feel of a piece with itself i i I am under the belief that if the twist of the movie was revealed in the first act it would be a better movie Mm, maybe I think if you knew where it was going and it was like a movie about manipulation and about like these elders who are tricking their children into living in a world where they can die easily without medicine. Um, Like, I I just think it would be more effective because here the movie sort of tries to have his cake and eat it too. It has this happy ending where the elders are like, let's keep living here. But also like Adrian Brody is dead in a ditch and he'd stabbed the guy and Brendan Gleeson's son is dead and we could have easily just got him an inhaler and none of this would have happened. You know? Yeah, that's true. Like, I feel like the movie needs to just, like, pick a villain, and it doesn't. Or pick, like, a message or a theme or something to say. No, when I watched it, the movie doesn't have a natural, like, forward thrust. And it's not the same as, like, Hellboy, where it just, and then this thing happens, and then this thing happens, and then this thing happens. That being said, I still thought this was a, and then this thing happens type of movie. Which is very strange. It it doesn't have that like literal feel, but you you reflect on it after the fact. Where I was like, wait, what are we actually doing here in this scene? Why are we having dinner again? You know, why are we you know having another meeting in the town square again? Why are we spending time with Adrian Brody? Why are we spending time with Adrian Brody? Doing simple Jack. Yes, ex- ex- <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> oh, like, God. like, and and then just like. Honestly, why are there even monsters in this movie? And that that tonal battle that you have. Um, Dude, the monsters thing is really weird because that's the first twist of the movie. Yes. And they kind of like 
announce it with like a, a bit of a thud. Like it yes. doesn't really play in the usual M. Night Shyamalan twist way. No, so he says there are monsters, th- that there were tales of monsters, but the monsters that you have seen in your life are made up. And here are the costumes to prove it in the magical shed that nobody goes. Yeah, I know. And so we, it reveals to, to the main character that monsters aren't real. But then 20 minutes later, M. Night tries to have his cake and eat it too again. And is like, but maybe they are. And, and it's that's the like worst. the next twist in the movie. It's one of the worst things about the movie because you it's still awful. know like, yeah, yeah. It, it, there's just no tension in that scene whatsoever. Right. It's right. one of the straight. I've complained about this before. Stop revealing the information, information like that before, but before like this, the, the, the dramatic scenes happen, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because it just, it, I, I'm sorry, it doesn't work. It just, it flat out does not work. And I don't care about the scene. And like the characters in those scenes just feel stupid to me. And that's a great example where I'm just like, what is even happening at this point? Why should I care about this? It's just going to be, it's probably going to be Adrian Brody. Oh, it's Adrian Brody. Right. Uh, And yeah, man, like, but again, like he doesn't execute it in a way that makes any sense. They're making monster noises. Their mouths move. They're shown to be monsters, but somehow they're people in costumes. Yeah. And it's just like, I can only suspend my disbelief so much for a moment like that for it to really sell. It's and just why stupid. is Adrian Brody doing this? Exactly. Why did me- he know to look under the floorboard and why would he yes. consider this part of his ruse? Because the, the scene where he stabs Joaquin Phoenix is actually quite troubling. I love that scene. It's a really good scene. Like, And I think it's a really bad performance and a really bizarre performance coming off of a fucking Oscar. Mm-hmm. But uh, like he is good in that scene and the scene is effective. But if you play the character that way as just sort of this loose cannon and agent of chaos, that'd be cool. But it just feels like he's used as a plot device. Yep. Which and he his is. like mental illness and stupidity or whatever you want to call it. It's mental illness, not really stupid, but it is it, it's sort of used as a way to get from point A to point B. And that ending especially is just or the his ending, I should say, is really fucking cringe. Yeah, I know. And like I'm, I happen to agree with Roger in this point. Like at that point, like where does it go? It's just kind of like really, really. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And, and the big issue for me, and this it comes down to this, is like what's the conflict of this movie? Yeah. Like wh- where's the feeling of conflict? They talk about it a lot, but does this movie actually feel like it has any semblance of conflict? Right. No. No, I I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like you're watching the movie and they're just talking about romance issues or they're talking about like how their their land is cursed or not blessed. And I'm like, I don't know what you're even talking about anymore. Mm. So you you got to give me a little bit more than that so I can actually buy into what anything that's happening because so little is happening anyway. <laughs> they kind of stumble through all of those yes. plot points. It's yes, like, OK, yes, so there's exactly. a love triangle for like 30 seconds. Yes. With and Judy I don't buy Greer it for a second, by and the Bryce way. Dallas Howard. Yeah, the, and the Judy Greer thing is also played for laughs because he does this weird cut where she like professes. <laughs> yeah, but she professes his, her love for him, and then they cut to her crying, and it's a weird tonal thing again. Is, but yeah. they stumble through that, and then Bryce Dallas Howard and Joaquin Phoenix fall in love in another like twenty seconds, and we don't buy any of that. And then she goes on this quest that is really not explained at all, and the stuff that they do explain actually hurts the quest. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I'll say about the the monster reveal or the, the way that they go back on it, it is this interesting idea of like once you know the truth, even when someone actually you know tells you this is the way things are, your faith still deceives you. And I do think like that's an interesting idea that they can play with, but not at the expense of tension. 
Like, I do like that idea that, you know, when something is that deep seated, when your faith is something that you you've known your entire life, someone can for a fact, you know, tell you can go walk you to the shed and show you that the monsters aren't real. <laughs> but even that part of you still believes it. That's a great idea. But you're right. Playing it for a scene of tension makes it move too quickly like that idea it only really comes into your head in that one scene in that one moment yeah and that's such an interesting idea that it really needed to be played for like the duration of the movie that would have been an interesting shift because my other issue with the movie is that like it's like 10 different movies in a lot of ways i mean it's not really 10 different movies but it is multiple tonal movies kind of crammed together and it's not really sure how to juggle them at any given point there's interesting ideas, like in all M Night movies. Frankly, there are interesting ideas here. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm gl- I'm glad that he takes the swing. I respect the guy for taking the swing. But it's not his worst swing. Let's just be perfectly honest. Like 100. I don't hate this movie at all. It's like, I don't it, either. It's not even unwatchable, honestly. It's just, uh, I mean, it, I don't know. I don't it's know. It's a mess. It's, I don't know. It, it it's is a mess. mess. But it's, just, it's a fascinating mess in a lot sure. of ways. It needed to be a little more considered. He needed to to do a couple more runs of that fucking script. Yeah. Um, strange as it sounds, maybe not get Deacons. Cause it, I agree. That, that cinematography promises a movie that it's just not. And that, right. that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. It's like the feeling of the cinematography does not really suit the material. Mm-hmm. So there's also that. And yeah, I yeah, it it's a, it's it seems like an idea he had in the shower and then he just wrote and that was that. And it's like mm. this could have been something great if you would just let it cook for a bit longer in your head and really let it simmer, go through those drafts and it would have been amazing. But yeah, uh, it's a big swing. Sure, um, sure, sure. And I and I would call a miss. But I, I mean, I, I think as we just described, I mean, there's stuff in the movie that we definitely like, yeah. uh, but just approached in such the wrong way. Yeah, no, it's execution. A lot of it is just yeah. the execution for a story like this. I just don't think he fully understood what he was working with. You know, yeah, that happens. It's okay. It's not a it's not a colossal failure, but yeah, it, you know, I I, I I agree. It's just a miss. It's and a it has a bit. cult following, by the way. And so I under- shout out to the village heads out there. I understand it. I see it. I see why yeah. you would think that. I'm not. I I'm not a part of that cult, but you know, keep it alive, guys. Good for you. Yeah. You know. Have fun in your village out in the woods. Ah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> With your no-fly zone. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the fucking dumbest thing. And it makes no goddamn sense. Dude, yeah. and it's M. Night explaining it. Like, that is the most eye-rolly moment in the history of cinema. The, you know, M. Night Shyamalan is literally on screen <laughs> explaining to you the twist. Explaining the, no, no, no. He's explaining the, the plot holes and why they're not actually plot holes, guys. Right. This See, is why- guys? I'm self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, as what, and that scene, okay, now there's a scene that flat out front to back is not done well. Like, even when the guy's, like, plucking the medicine, it's just so weird and awkward. It's like, yeah, how and why you, do they have all that medicine? I don't there, fucking so. know. How are you not noticing your guy right in front of you stealing fucking jars <laughs> of, like, morphine and shit? Uh. I don't know. And it just, <laughs> with the reflection of M. Night just on his paper, it's like, he's, like, looking straight at the dude. It's so stupid. And it's the signs move again. Yep. Yeah, it's, that's the, right. it's M Night in the mirror instead of the alien, but uh, <laughs> or has it been the alien the entire time? Oh, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> that's it, it, that's the twist all along that M Night's actually from the planet Krypton, <laughs> <laughs> and he came down here, wrote Stort Little Two, and is or Stort Little, and is now going back. Uh, 
to his mother planet. To the planet Wesso. Having destroyed life on this one. <laughs> Having ripped society to shreds. Yeah. And then you go straight up to him on his new planet, splash a bucket of water on him, and he dies immediately. Right. <laughs> right. Anticlimactic again. It was water all along. Yeah, the, the every uh, either hero or villain is defeated by water in these That movies. is true. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that everyone about? hates water. Lady in the water, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Yeah, what's your beef with water, M. Knight? <laughs> I don't like water. <laughs> it has no taste. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Final movie. 2017's Split. Yep. Starring James McAvoy, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Haley, Haley Lou Richardson. Three girls are kidnapped by a man with a diagnosed 23 distinct personalities. They must try to escape before the apparent emergence of a frightful new 24th. So here's the trajectory, if I'm getting this correctly. He starts as Spielberg, this M. Night Shyamalan. Yep. He then transitions into like a weird B-movie. Like, uh, I, I don't even know. Is who, who's a good comparison? Roger Corman? Ed Wood? Yeah, okay. Ed, sure. <laughs> he becomes Ed Wood for the next 10 years. And does after earth and it's like that's the last fucking straw my dude we're done guy we're done we're guy. done but then fucking jason blum gives him a call yep and he's like like a like a quarterback coach with like a, a guy that 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 just can't throw an accurate deep ball anymore he's like <laughs> dude i can fix this so fucking m night goes to rehab yeah. he goes to blumhouse rehab and they detox with a movie called The Visit. Which I haven't seen. And neither have I, but cost $5 million. Blum is like, listen, th this old Hollywood system that you grew up in, that's a thing of the past. Here we make movies for cheap. Occasionally we'll cast a big name for the, for, for the most part. No big stars. And we're going to make it a straight horror movie. And you can do your twist thing and you can do your B movie thing. But we're going to shoot this thing quickly and efficiently and... It don't matter if the critics like it, people are going to see it. And also, you can just, like, make your weird horror movies and nobody will care. Mm -hmm. That's the other great thing, you know? You can just make your weird Blumhouse movie. That's the great thing about Blumhouse. So, The Visit costs $5 million. Does well with critics. Yep. Um, I believe uh, grossed somewhere in the in the ballpark of, of 50 to $60 million. Um, Doesn't have any major stars. And M. Night's back. Yeah. He's back. Mm -hmm. it, I guess where he should have been all along, which was making like Grindhouse movies. I, can't, I guess. And so Split comes out. It's another Blumhouse movie. This one costs only $9 million. James McAvoy is a star, but not like a huge, huge star. Well, That's a conversation I'd like to have in a second, too. Okay. This thing gross, grosses $138 million domestically in January. It's a January movie. Yeah. And now we found it. You know what I mean? Now we hit our sweet spot with M. Night. And it feels like old is almost like moving in the other direction now. It's Maybe. almost like now, you know, he's out of rehab and he's kind of relapsing. <laughs> okay. And, Maybe. You know, I don't know. We'll see. Well, I we'll, guess we'll see. We'll see about it. But I'm kind of into this M. Night zone here. Now, I should say, I don't really like Split that much. I think Which it's kind of weird. overrated. Yeah. You think it's overrated? I do. 
I was reflecting on it and I realized it's actually maybe one of my favorite films of 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. I fucking love this movie. Okay. I think it's kind of great. <laughs> Put it when, when the, the YMS guy, your movie sucks guy yeah. traditionally hates all of M night's films and says this one is good. Yeah. <laughs> you have something on your hands. Okay. <laughs> Cause that guy fucking hates everything. Yeah. And, uh, I would so love it if M. Night made more movies in this vein because mm. I think he's really good at it and I'm like oh you have something here this is very interesting this uh, uh, this approach to suspense is awesome the knowing that something bad is coming but delaying it for the entirety of the movie is so unnerving and dreadful it, and oh god I love it so much I have never been so skeeved out by like that environment that basement setting wherever they are like the boiler room mm. oh my god it just gives me the fucking chills man and I just think like the reveal is worth it it's like god I'm so happy we built to this moment in such a really like interesting way that I didn't I didn't expect M. Night to go at this late in his career like the, the moves he makes in this with the, the pathos of the character and sort of the tragic path of both characters is something he would have played much much earlier and that's kind of what I was referencing with someone like Donnie Wahlberg in mm. The Sixth Sense so I love that. Um, and, you know, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll save our thoughts in just a bit for James McAvoy. But I really think this is almost a star-making role for Anya Taylor-Joy. It felt like the movie where people started to notice her. Mm -hmm. So it's important in that way. And, yeah, I think she's quite good in the role. I really, really enjoy her. And, uh, man, I just love this movie's atmosphere, too. It's just like there's something odd and creaky and, and metally about it and you're just like, ooh, what is this nook I've been shoved into? Get me out of here. The fact that you don't really know where you are, too, and that that's so effectively displayed for you, I just think it's so, ugh, like, so so visceral and palpable when you watch it. And also, I can't go without saying it's one of my, like, it's not, like, as traditionally sweeping as, you know, what you get out of a James Newton Howard score, but whoever scored this movie is a fucking genius. The, the music in, clock, yeah. The music in this is absolutely wonderful. There's an urgency to it. The guy's name is West Dylan yep. Thordson. It is creepy, man. It's one of my like favorite horror scores, like like of the past ten years. I think it's really great stuff. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I I yeah, I agree. I agree with most of that. I think it's two thirds a really good movie. I think the thing falls apart in the third act because okay. M Night sort of goes back to his old ways, and um, the movie just didn't need a twist. I mean, we'll Does talk it have about, a twist? Well, the twist is that it's a sequel to Unbreakable, but that's a conversation that's for that's fine. A, a little later. It, well, okay, the the stuff with the beast, the the fact that this is um, a supernatural movie, a supervillain movie, yeah, it just doesn't work for me. Really? Uh, yeah, I I just I don't I don't care for it. Um, Why? Because <laughs> I, I feel like it's a lot scarier if it's based in reality, and the idea that this is in like a parallel universe, that this is not actually a guy that could exist, I think sort of cheapens it. Um, the aliens worked for you though, didn't they? Well, that's an alien movie though. So, but, but no, but, so? the, but this movie, the the shark that they show you at the beginning. Turns out not to be a shark. It turns out to be like a turns to be a megalodon. You know, whereas <laughs> it was always you, aliens. That's what's kind of no, works but the villain was always aliens and signs. Whereas this one, yeah. it's like, you know, the second you see him, he's Hannibal Lecter. But if you were to find out that Hannibal Lecter actually had magical powers, 
there would be something a little less creepy about him. It's the fact I that he never, could actually exist, right? I'm not sure I ever got the semblance that he was Hannibal Lecter. I always got the sense that he was somewhat of a monster. I was just waiting for that monster to kind of break out of his shell. Uh-huh. He's not smart enough or sophisticated enough to be someone like that, you know? And he's yeah. also like immediately, I know just because of the performance that this is not like the most realistic character. No. So there's that. It uh, does feel more rooted in the real world. And maybe that's just because of the filmmaking. Like I think about the shot at the beginning when they kidnap Anya Taylor-Joy and her friend, mm-hmm. um, or James McAvoy does. I'm, I'm speaking about him as they, but um, the, the scene of him just sitting in the passenger seat. That's great stuff. Like, it's just so in your face and mundane. I mean, that's just great grindhouse shit. I mean, that to me is grounded horror. It's like yeah. horror in broad daylight. It's like the scene by the lake in Zodiac. And I, I just feel like the end, I, I think, just sort of cheapens the movie because M. Night has to explain away the psychology of this character. He brings yeah. in that classic fucking M. Night character too, oh, the yeah. psychologist that explains the whole thing. And like... Oh, it's so frustrating to watch that because I don't need that exposition. But there, he just has that gene for some reason. It's that yeah, screenwriting impulse that he he just always goes back to just the fucking character that does the psychological breakdown. So I like I don't know. I I find that third act to be very frustrating. Um, and well, I'll I'll save my thoughts on that for a second. But um, I, I agree with you up until the first two acts before wow. the beast stuff. I, I actually am really into the movie, and I wish that this was a lane that M. Night lived in a lot more. Okay. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think if I'm swimming in the ocean, and I think it's a it's a great white shark, and then it turns out to be a megalodon, I'm going to be even more scared than I could have possibly imagined. That's yeah. My, my Okay. I don't think... I think it works. I think it works. Okay. I think situating yourself in this movie just knowing that this guy is weird, and there's something very off about him, but he's not really doing anything... I mean, he's doing something horrible, but at the same time, it's not like I'm not worried that. How best to explain it? You're 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 trying to figure this guy out the entire time, and it's not like he's going to like like cut these women apart or anything. That it doesn't seem that way at first. You're trying to figure out if he's ever going to get to that moment, and the slow build up to that there is something boiling inside this guy that is going to blow you know blow out and do something horrible and shocking, and he's going to become something unrecognizable. I find that stuff really, really compelling and often quite rewarding. And I just think the movie gradually builds to that to a point of, uh, I, I don't know, like it's it's one of the better climaxes that I've seen for M. Night, if I'm being honest. I kind of disagree with that take on the third act just huh. because I, I think the progression to it is is totally believable, strangely. And I also, it, my other point is like, yeah, he's a super villain, but like he's just climbing on walls and stuff. You know, it's not, he's not... It, it, I know it's like yeah, but he like he he had the veins start popping and he gets yeah, jacked he's, and he's not flying, he's not shooting laser beams. He's a guy. He's just a very 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 though? strong I, guy. Okay, I disagree yes. with that. I don't that's know. The, no, that's the intention. That's sort of like M Night's take on these superhero movies. Even like Dylan Dunn, you know, yeah. can di- can die by drowning. Like, that's, but at least the logic of that movie is sound. Whereas this one. Is is this I, I, not I just felt like it cheapened it. I because I did find the first two acts very horrifying, and I just didn't feel like we had to go there. I didn't feel like we needed to change the rules of the universe in order to make it scary. And if anything, the idea that this guy exists in a parallel universe and not our mm. universe, like like to me, I, I do think that cheapens it. I think like the idea of this mental disorder, although you're right, it is obviously played up and far fetched. 
it's 23 different personalities, man. That's not a thing. Yeah, I, I get it. To make it into like the stuff of fairy tale and myth, I just felt like a bridge too far. Um, especially the end with the like you're pure and that weird like thing oh, with the, the <laughs> sexual assault. And, like, oh, it just felt skeevy to me. It just felt like, why are we doing this, M. Night? Like, I'm totally with you and I'm totally in for the grounded oh. M. Night movie. I'm, uh, God. And this is, is that worked it, for you, huh? It's where I'm like, why not do it? <laughs> huh? Because it, it's more effective. I don't know. It's it's I don't know, man. That sounds kind of boring to me. The alternative. Because I I, I feel like Anya Taylor Joy and him by that point in the movie had already made that connection, and you didn't hmm. need to literalize it. You know, it was something that you understood because she's clearly a very empathetic person, and 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 wants to listen, and she sure. clearly wants to listen to the nine-year-old kid or, you know, to the the other more naive, yeah. innocent people. It, like, that's already implied. To have to, like, make that explicitly true with the sexual assault stuff and... Uh, ugh. It felt too M. Night. It felt too genre. <laughs> it, too genre? It did, oh. yeah. It felt too genre. And the fact that the... I'm not sure I'd go there. The but... unbreakable thing got shoehorned into it is a whole different discussion. Um... You haven't seen Glass, right? No. I watched Glass today. You did? I oh, did. wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, I did. I know what happens in Glass, by the way, so. Thoroughly strange movie. Yeah. Really fucking weird. Mm-hmm. It, really weird. Because, and M. Night says this was part of the plan, that the James McAvoy character was supposed to appear in an Unbreakable sequel, and he, this is how he sort of wrote it in. But it's kind of bizarre watching M. Night retroactively build his own MCU. Yeah. With two movies that are clearly meant to be standalone. Mm-hmm. But the twist of Split is that it's a sequel, and then now he feels this pressure to put all the characters together and say something about their shared universe and make a like straight superhero story. Well, yeah. It doesn't fucking work. It's a disaster. It's a mess. But it is fascinating to watch. And it's kind of a beautiful mess. And I understand why people like it. Because, again, there's really interesting stuff in that movie. I, yeah, I, I heard it was not like like one of those like ironically bad movies. You it's know? not. You, you could watch it and enjoy it. Yeah, and I, I know like the, the thing that happens to all the characters, which is strange to me. Yes. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I it's a know. movie with a lot of conflicting morals because... Sure. It's similar to this movie. Anya Taylor-Joy and McAvoy make this pact. And so in the next movie, they're like pals. That like Anya Taylor-Joy is the one person that James McAvoy now oh. cares about. Okay, I see. In the next movie. And mm-hmm. Anya Taylor-Joy kind of cares about him. Is it the temptation to make a, an MCU movie in this current environment? Is that what it was? Well, Kind of, but not really, because it is a movie that feels very critical of the MCU as you're watching it. Yeah, yeah. It is a deconstruction of all of the superhero tropes. But he still has his cake and eats it too, though, doesn't he? Right, he does. And I, I would encourage you to watch it. I think you actually might not hate it. I don't, I mean, I, I really like Split, man. Yeah. 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 It, it's not like Split. Okay. I mean, it's like Split in like the filmmaking. Like there's a, It's got that very cheap Blumhouse quality to it, but... Okay. No, it's much grander. There are action sequences. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it, it's um, I mean, it's a superhero story. It's a fascinating one. I again, I would take that over an Avengers movie any day of the week and twice okay. on Sunday. 
but it is it, it is like a, a very strange mess okay but anyway going back to split yeah third act doesn't work for me agree to disagree on that front james mcavoy what happened to this guy what do you mean because similar to like joseph gordon levitt eight years ago i feel like mcavoy was supposed to be the dude oh and the fact that he was, hasn't become the dude is kind of weird to me i think it was too many x-men movies <laughs> I agree. that's a possibility yeah so, yeah what are you gonna do those movies really hurt a lot of people i would say that's yeah. kind of the problem indentured servitude those movies yeah you didn't want to get involved with those movies you know even hey, man, look at what happened to michael fassbender where's he i mean it almost killed jennifer lawrence yeah it, it like it's seriously like she said i'm not acting for a couple years but i have to show up and paint myself blue to play fucking wow you know that's she, bad yeah I, th- th- those are the only movies she made for like five years yeah basically and she was so checked out by like the second movie i know no no he's good in those movies though mcavoy i like him in those yeah i like him too i like him too i like him a lot in this <laughs> so, i think he's like really good in this yes i think it's an excellent performance and you see excellent. that trailer i remember seeing that trailer and being like oh no right oh no yeah. no we got we got something bad coming here we got a capone had i known capone was coming uh <laughs> right. but uh he's at he, yeah it, he, much to my surprise all of those strange quirks work very well and i buy every single one of them and it sort of adds to the weird creepiness to the vibe of this movie, you know. I, there's like the, the the sweetness to the the um, the kid he he acts as, to like the stern seriousness of the woman, mm. and that weird balance. When he clutches his neck. Yeah, it's it's like you ever been in a room with somebody who oh god that ugh, the clutching of the neck with uh-uh. with 23 personalities no no yes. no but you ever you ever been in, in <laughs> yes, the room with someone where it's like it seems to be like, okay great example for me was always a teacher mm. and i would be like having you know talking and asking questions and he or she would come over to me and say something that was really informative and they'd pat me on the back they'd be really nice and then they would scream at someone across the room yeah and you're like uh, oh fuck yeah what was that Exactly. Why was I on that guy's good side? <laughs> yeah, that's what this movie feels like in a lot of those scenes. <laughs> it, it, you're right. It is one of the more unsettling things. Horror movies play with this a lot, obviously. These serial killer movies play with this a lot. But the <laughs> idea that somebody can put such a, a nice face on in the next moment. yeah. Anytime somebody subverts your expectations for who they are sure. or changes yeah. who they are in front of you. Yeah, teacher. That's actually a good comparison. Like, I've definitely felt that with teachers too. Like, anytime like a teacher like screams at a guy, it's like, well, yo, I thought we were cool, man. Yeah, I know. It always feels wrong, even if it's not directed at you. It's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, that's the guy I was okay with. Yeah. So. Which 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 personality am I talking to here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> am I talking to Patricia right now? Yeah. No, oh, but that like you don't know who you're talking to. Are they putting on a guise? Yeah. That uncertainty in every single scene is so wonderful. It's I mean it's really really exciting. Um I totally agree. Again, I hate to be banging this drum and beating this dead horse, but is this it, that is enough for me. Like I I just feel like if we st- keep it in that world and like we have 23 characters to play with why does the guy need to grow muscles and start crawling around the ceiling they don't overdo it though honestly they really don't go into that like he's not like fucking i don't know doomsday in this where he's got like spines sticking out of him like he still feels 
like like a fairly believable super villain, if that makes any sense at all. Like for what they're going for in the Unbreakable universe, this doesn't bother me at all. But also, dude, it's a monster movie. That's mm-hmm. the other thing you have to understand. It's not going for like a real world psychological thriller. This is a monster movie, and it feels like a monster movie. It is a B movie. That's the yes. other thing to realize too. But, yeah. So like an ending like that, again, it's another one of those instances where it's like, no, the vibe of the movie invites something like this. And as long as you can earn that, as long as you can play into it in a way that makes a lot of sense and is, you know, equal plays into like the, the that similar type of horror that you're going for. It doesn't feel like a tonal battle. Then go for it, you know? Mm. And like I said, like it, I, I, the thing about the twist, though, man, is like once they in, introduce it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's part of the reason why I was always okay with it. I was like, yeah, mm. okay, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, that's cool. And I think that was a lot of people's reactions, because I think this is, like, one of the more, like, uh, well-accepted twists that Chamon has come up with in the past couple of years. A lot of people seem to like it. Yeah, I don't know how many people, because I, I remember seeing this in the theater with people. And, and they didn't, well, for those who got the twist we'll put it that way i mean the person i saw it with had not seen unbreakable and it didn't feel like a lot of people were leaping out of their chairs in the theater being like oh shit no i'm not saying will is back (laughs) yeah 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 but to those who did they were like like shitting themselves i'm sure it was one of those instances yeah It, it is really now that it's a trilogy with glass it's one of the more bizarre trilogies ever and the fact that this was made the first movie under disney and the next two under blumhouse um yeah, really strange. I I think cool. I like Glass, dude. I think I'd like it. All right, I gotta see it. I I've been meaning to watch it. It's a strange one that I don't know why I haven't watched it because I love uh, Split so much. So yeah. By the way, like the scene where he does finally become the Beast, and they they get those shots of him running back and just like coming for them. I love that the movie like like. You can say the line, oh, he's coming for us. But this movie, like, shows it in a really eerie way where he's coming for them off in the distance and just running past the camera. Yeah. And just that weird, oh, inevitability that this force of nature is going to be, like, like ripping you apart any second. Ugh. I like watching Shyamalan kind of work with the low-budget cameras, too. Yeah, me too. I kind of like that digital look, like that grimy for digital him. look. Yeah, I don't like it when a lot of directors do it. Like, I kind of wish Soderbergh started shooting in, you know, in, in fucking... You know, uh, like, well, actually, he he did shoot with the CinemaScope cameras. But, like, I kind of, you know, I, I wish he started polishing it up a little bit. I kind of like when Shyamalan rubs a little dirt on the lens. Does that oh, make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. That, that's kind of what I was getting at with, like, the aesthetic and the griminess of it all. And that's yeah. par- partially the setting. But it is also the interesting camera work. There's a lot of good stuff that he's doing. He's kind of... I still got moves, man. He's forced to get very, very creative when he's doing this stuff. Yeah. It's really it's 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 also just a super super entertaining film. Yes. Like I mean like front to start there really isn't really there isn't much of like a low point for this one. Mm. I've seen it a bunch. I I've seen it maybe more than any other one of his films honestly. Wow. When it was like showing all the time on HBO just cuz I was like, yeah, I want to watch that again. Fuck yeah. It's a great great movie to just throw on. Yeah. And you're 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 hardly ever bored by it. And to to see a movie like this too by the way, and like coming off of like what I can only imagine is the sheer bore fest that is After Earth, and then mm. what I know is just the the dumpster fire. I guess is putting it mildly with uh, <laughs> the Last Airbender. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Very mildly. 
Like, like to, to make something so little like this and so effective. And that's the other thing, dude. Like, it's just a really, really super effective film yeah. for what it's going for, for that B-movie monster movie quality. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm a sucker for that. But if you can do it with panache, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's always going to work for me. M. Night Shyamalan, a fascinating dude. I think, uh, as evident yeah. by our conversation, I feel like we just scratched the surface and we went two hours on Shyamalan. I he well, really is just like a cornucopia of 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 like film discourse. Well, like the universe, it's constantly growing and it's going to develop more. Still growing, still there's gonna, evolving. There's going to be more stars, more black holes. Yeah. You know, some interesting stuff out there. You're going to get a, a, a galaxy that's made of entirely alcohol. That's a thing, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Listen, <laughs> make fun of the guy all you want. I think that the world is a better place with him in it, I, or at least a yeah. more interesting place with him in it. I'm glad he's here, and I'm glad he's making movies, and I want Me him too. to make Me more. Me too. I don't hate him. Like some people treat him as like like the Nick Cage of directors, and I've always been like, mm, stop it. Yeah, even you know though what, now, and you, know, I, and you know what I would say? What? Get a fucking life. Live a little. Nick Cage is great, and so is Shyamalan. How about that? Yeah. How about, yeah. you know, quit, quit besmirching the name of our greatest actor. I, I would see, I would say Nick Cage is just great, but I could I would say Shyamalan can be great. Can be great. If you yeah, s- have, have some fucking fun, man. Life's too boring yeah. to like be like, oh, you the English patient's great. Sure. Whatever. I don't hate the English patient. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's good. The world needs more Shyamalans. OK, yes, um, yes, yes, what, yes. what do we want to induct here? God, because I, I think it's a two horse race. Personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. My my top three are um, um, uh, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Split. Of course, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I would eliminate Split. I I, I do think Sixth Sense and Unbreakable are a, yeah, yeah. a clear step above the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have one obvious choice and one not so obvious choice. That's where I'm kind of meeting a crossroads. I don't know which one I like more. Me neither. Honestly, I don't know. You know, obviously, Sixth Sense is the more lauded. It's the more iconic. It got nominated for Oscars, and I can't argue with it. Like, it is a great piece of cinema, totally effective piece of cinema. Um, but you know, uh, it's it's the take lord in me. That's like, I love how underrated Unbreakable is. It's great, isn't it? You know? I will. I will say this. I, I love that twist ending. I love the final line. They call me Mister Glass. It's perfect. Hmm. They're the text, though, the like Albert Brooks. Oh, right, right, right. Doesn't really work. So there no. is that. If there's any blemish on the film, that would be it for me. I think Unbreakable is a worse script. It's not that much worse, though. Is Th- there's, it? There's a, well, you have Sam Jackson, who I think is good in the movie. I think he is, too. Yeah. I, I think talking a lot about the nature of comic books and sort of like telling you the themes of the movie. Yeah. Whereas Sixth Sense doesn't do any of that. Like Sixth Sense is his most showy, not telly movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say it's probably a better script, but I think Unbreakable in terms of directorial choices has a lot more interesting choices than Sixth Sense. Well, they definitely stuck out to me when I rewatched it too, like much more so than the Sixth Sense. You know, a lot of those like, like moves that aren't just like, like, you know, like, clever tricks with the camera a lot of the time, but there's also a lot of confidence mm-hmm. with a lot of those shots when he chooses to go big or when he chooses to be small. And there is a more traditional quality to the way he's handling 
like like the filmmaking and something like the sixth sense i'll say that mm. but the story's just so good that's the, and that's what i come down to dude like I, what i will say is like that story in 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 sixth sense and its execution is just Pitch fantastic perfect. yeah there's not much you can criticize about it I don't know. I'm kind of cool going either way here. I, I I think just the troll in me leans towards Unbreakable, but if you're not comfortable doing that over Sixth Sense, I will go with you. In other words, I'm letting you decide. Oh. We have been doing kind of contrarian takes, though, for the last couple pods, I feel. Okay. You know, when, you know, even though, like, like for example, with Albert Brooks, you know, we went Modern Romance, which to me is clearly the best film. I think the, the popular opinion is Lost in America correct and then we also but we um and then for um uh fast and furious we said the first movie which is a we big did. big contrarian pick yes we did so there's that I, up I, to I you my guy we are bound to do another best of 1999 because remember we, we have gonna, to go back to the well we were gonna do a round two of that year because there were just so many fucking movies well we nominated it already though right we did yeah yeah. I think we were going to do like a second chance one because I flummoxed mine really bad. Okay. Up to you. You're right. There are about five movies from 1995, if not more. 1999 that yeah. that should be in. Probably 1995 too. That was a good year too. Was a good year. Yeah. It was really was good. Was a year. good year. Seven and Toy Story. Very similar movies and very great. So, uh, yeah. Oh man, I don't know. I don't know what I want to say. I'm surprisingly torn on this. I'm leaning unbreakable. Oh god, but you, but, but that's you. That's me. I don't that's know. That's you. You know. You can't go wrong here. No. No. But I, you know, I picked I I was the one that picked Zelig. So I why why am I the one <laughs> making this decision? You want to go 6 cents. Let's just do it. You want to do it. I can feel it. But there's a chance to get six cents in in another instance, you know? That's how I judge this stuff. uh, We could do like a non-comic book superhero podcast, you know? What does that that mean? Like superhero movies not based on comic books. At all? Oh, I thought you mean like a superhero film that's not really a superhero film kind of. Yeah, they're unconventional superhero movies or, you know. I mean, wait, listen, we could... We could cut it as many ways as you want. This is our podcast. We, we do, do whatever we, do. we want. Yeah. We do whatever we want. Let's just go six cents. You want to get it in. I, I kind of do. Okay. I kind of do. Yeah. That's fine. It's the chalk choice, but it's the right choice. It, it, yeah. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with playing it safe every now and again. It sucks because I know like for those listening to this pod, like clearly I talked more highly about yeah. uh, Unbreakable and much more eloquently, but like. Right. Uh, God, yeah. you know what I mean. It's I just, know, I get it. I'm on Letterboxd, man, I get it. Yeah, it's just like, shit. I totally I don't know. Get it. it feels so bad, and I just love that movie so much. Yeah. We'll uh, come back to it. I think we we'll, can come back to it. We will. Okay. We will come back to it. Okay, Sixth Sense gets an Hall of Fame. We uh, will be seeing old <laughs> at some point. Yeah, well, that'll probably be a wise decision. Well, I don't know. What do we want to do with that? We'll see. We could do a movie review. We haven't done a movie review in a while. Yeah, I, I um, yeah, we'll we'll watch it and see how much meat there is on the bone. We're gonna both be on vacation though next week. That's true. Yes, we we're are. gonna recharge, refresh, um, and then come back better than ever. 
I think. I plan on, on, you know, getting drunk and stoned and flying up into space on giant penis rockets. So I don't know if I'm going to be uh, in a better place. You were the guy that won the bidding on that. You're the mystery bidder. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to chill in Rhode Island, man. Just play some mini golf and fucking (laughs) go to the beach. Go chill with Taylor Swift. See how she's doing. Uh, Sure. Just try to break into Taylor Swift's house. Rock, rock her vacation. cardigan. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, no wise is the thing next week. No movie hall of fame, obviously. We're doing that every other week now. So mm-hmm. the website's going to take a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a, a, a week of rest, and then we'll be back, and you know, your regularly scheduled programming will resume, That's including right. the Harry Potter podcast, I promise. Okay. Even though I'm like, I, I, I could care less what you think about those movies. Unless you come away like, you know something, Adam? I was wrong. Then that I will, started it, and I'm going to finish what I started. That will pique my interest if you actually say, you know something, Adam? Started out rough, but let me tell you. Let me tell you. I started to get it. I can see it happening, but I can also see it not happening, so we'll see. <laughs> By the way. Unlike Simone Biles, I'm going to finish what I started. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love Simone Biles. I'm not doing okay. anything to you, Nico. You have to tell <laughs> you, have, you have to tell that to the podcast right now. I am not <laughs> What? What do you mean? What do you mean you're not doing anything to me? I'm not doing anything suspicious to you that would cause you to quit. <laughs> like what was happening to Simone Biles. Oh. <laughs> yes, you're not pulling a Larry Nasser. <laughs> Let me be clear, Larry Nas- or Adam Hall's not the Larry Nasser of Too Many Thoughts uh, God, I hate night shows. <laughs> uh, 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 shout out to the big homie Bob Odenkirk, who's okay. Thank God. Spent all day worrying about that guy. I know, me too. It was a shitty day for that. I was worried. That was legit- fun. No. Like, I had a lot to do today, and then just at the back of my head, it's like, oh, Bob Odenkirk might die. Yeah. Looks and like I, he's okay. He had, like, a heart attack, huh? Yeah. And now you're like, dot, dot, dot. Okay, get to filming. Go, go, go. I know. You're, you're Let's get, get back in the desert, my guy. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Finish that shit up right now. <laughs> I need season six in my life. Injected into my veins. Yeah. Uh, that was about 40% of the concern. It was yeah. like, are they really not going to finish Saul? But yeah, my only thing is just keep Jonathan Banks out of the hot Albuquerque sun. That's how is he still kicking? That's <laughs> un, like that fucker. <laughs> that guy is like 200 years old. <laughs> can still shoot people, can still beat them up. How is he not? <laughs> so I know we're 2 hours into this. I, I I'm sorry, but if you're still here, this is the stuff that you come for. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see they're making an Exorcist sequel with Ellen Bernstein? What? She's like 90. And she's coming back for multiple Exorcist sequels with Leslie Odom Jr. Leslie Odom Jr.? Yes. What part? He 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 like plays a dad. It's like a sequel. He plays like a dad of a possessed kid and he goes to Ellen Bernstein for counsel. Oh my God. I honestly, if you had made me guess, I'm 60, 40 that Ellen Bernstein was dead. I thought I didn't see her in fucking year. Last thing I saw her in was the Wicker Man. <laughs> oh, I guess I saw her in Pieces of a Woman. Okay, but uh, yeah, <laughs> Ellen Bernstein coming back for more Exorcist. That is crazy. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. 
Well, new trilogy. It's a new trilogy of Exorcist movies. Yeah. Who's making them? It's a Blumhouse thing. It is? Oh, Jason no. Blum's got his dirty fingers in this one again. I don't... Ugh, I would have an issue working for that guy. Yeah? My 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 brother really wants me to, like, submit this horror film in, like, the same way that fucking... Uh, uh, what's the kid's name who made Shithouse? Cooper he Rafe. Wants, he wants me to go about it, like, the same way, be like, yeah, you're probably not gonna watch my movie, but just in case, here you go. Right. <laughs> just email Jason Blum. Oh, I, I like Blum. I don't know. I like Blumhouse movies. In I, I do. I do. I do. Yeah. I, I should say, yeah. like, I, I've I've liked a lot of his movies. You know, Whiplash came out of Blumhouse. That's true. Isn't that's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. All right. I'll, I'll 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 work for Jason Blum. There I'll do go. Halloween four. Uh, glad you 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 made this turn. <laughs> We're si- I'm signing on Halloween four on this podcast right here. <laughs> to summarize, Larry Nasser bad, Jason Blum good. Yeah, <laughs> M Night Shyamalan somewhere in the middle. That'll do it. Go to Discord, hit us up. Uh, I love you so very very much. And until next time, hot dogs have a good shape. <laughs>